Hello, all you few listeners, mostly Brian and Denny. Um, today I have the probably one of the best guitar players I personally know, um, if not the best, Chris DeClerc. He was in Los Angeles with me and Dad. He's still there. He uh, played in Random Damage back in 2007 for a couple shows. And yeah, I can honestly say he was probably the best, the most skilled guitar player Um random damages ever had that's for sure trust me dad's really really good but i you 19 years old you th- you know you killed it <laughs> well hi everybody hey ronnie thanks for having me yeah uh man random damage that was that was a lot of fun i miss those days that's for sure yeah my my goal was to um recently i was thinking the for musically i want to play in los angeles one more time you know what I mean? That's all it is. I don't care what I'm doing. I'm hoping it would be nice with random damage, but I, like I'm 32. I played when I was, excuse me, I played when I was 17, so I couldn't really do anything. I was young and stupid. You know what I mean? So I, I want, yeah. I want the full experience. Man, time, time flies. It's crazy. Yeah. Can't believe it's gone that fast. <laughs> it's crazy. I know that was 2000. That was 13 years ago, and that's roughly the last time we talked. Besides just a little bit last year, telling you about me coming to LA. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you come back to LA, bring your dad, and we'll have a another random damage show whenever. See, that's hard. If if they open the clubs again. <laughs> yeah, getting dad out of New Hampshire is like impossible. Unless he's doing the Appalachian Trail, he's like, I want nothing to do with paper. I want to be off the off the just the grid and. I don't know. Dad's being weird. I've tried to. Brett said he'd be up for it if he had the time off. Brett's the drummer up here um, for Random Damage right now. Random Damage has a band up here. It's just getting them to go do something would be hard. Oh, wow. So he actually kept the band going in New Hampshire. Wow, I didn't know that. We don't play often. He does his um, his uh, cover shows, right? And so once right. in a while when we have a full band cover show, he'll have... Um, I actually play guitar now <laughs> on it with him. Uh, so... Uh, he'll have the band come up for like a sec because the show is like three hours long. So he'll come up and have random damage come up and play for 45 minutes. And then the bass player, actually new one now, goes back down. I'll take the bass back to play in the cover band. So he it does play, but it hasn't played in a while. Nice. But nice. we still practice. We actually haven't jammed in like eight months. But then um, last, not last Tuesday, but the Tuesday before, we all got together again and had a little random damage band practice. That's awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah so that's well, how that's gotta, how random damage is going. You gotta keep at it with that. Yeah, bring the band back here. I would love to. Why not? Are you playing right now in a band? There's a few things, you know, a few projects I'm I'm part of. Um, I mean, of course, live right now we're not doing anything because everything is closed, um, which I personally find ridiculous, but. Um, to that, the extreme that they're doing it. I mean, most of the stores are closed. I mean, it's, it's, it's a little too extreme, um, in my opinion, but, um, so live, no, I have not played since, uh, February, I think was the last time I played. Um, that was with an Alice Cooper tribute band. Um, that's pretty cool. In that Alice Cooper tribute for years. Um, because I, I love Alice Cooper. I love that music. I mean, of course, I'm, it's a paying gig. I'm not going to complain about that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 
for the idea of you know keeping trying to keep making a living with the music you know of course i pretty much take whatever work i can and uh, yeah that was the last gig i had so i'm doing this band um there's other things i do mostly right now i'm trying to focus a little bit more again on some of my own music my own recordings um i gotta take you know i gotta release you know more songs uh, that's coming up very soon right now i'm finishing a song um which features on vocals paul diano uh who was the original singer of iron maiden oh that's badass um, yeah he was the guy that sang on the first first few albums uh, iron maiden killers <clears throat> so he recorded uh, vocals on one of my songs and actually that was um what a couple years ago that was already a little while back i've just been busy with so many projects that i put my stuff on hold and now i'm finally okay you know let's let's get you know let's get my own music um you know finished and, and start releasing all that stuff um you know, soon enough, I'll, I'll have enough material, and eventually, I'll just have my own album. Mm -hmm. So far, as as you know, I've just been releasing singles here and there. Now, what's your album idea? Are you going to have one set singer, or are you kind of just putting in like a group of <clears throat> kind of like what Santana does? <laughs> um, well, actually, um, for my own stuff, it's it's probably just going to be like a, a Santana kind of thing. Uh, with guests, different guests on 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 most songs, really. Um, so you know, as you know, I did that song with with Lemmy. Um, yeah, let's let's them. dive deep into that. Blaise that's Bailey, crazy. Who was the the singer of Iron Maiden? Also in the '90s, he was Maiden singer in the '90s. He recorded one of them. Uh, Michael Kenny, the keyboardist of Iron Maiden, plays played keyboards on four or five of my songs, um, including the one with Blaze and this one I'm about to release with Paul Diano. Um, Eric Dover was another guest. Um, you know, he was the singer of Slash's Snake Pit. Uh, Chuck Garrick, uh, who's Alice Cooper's bass player, he's played bass on a, a bunch of my songs. So, yeah, you know, with all those different guests and stuff, I mean, it's... Um, you know, I mean, at least I, you know, it'll probably get a little bit more attention than if it's just, hey, here's a musician in LA. Okay, yeah, nobody, not that many people care in this day and age. But of course, when you release a song with Lemmy, then of course, lots of people want to go check it out because Lemmy's on it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So it's it's a good way to get attention. You know, even get press or whatever if if that matters. Um, and then, you know, it's like for me, of course, it was, you know, a, um, you know, a privilege and honor to be able to work with some of my uh, my heroes, my rock and roll heroes. I mean, Lemmy, you know, I mean, Lemmy, enough said, you know, um, Iron Maiden, some of those guys, I mean, Iron Maiden's my all time favorite band. So, you know, that's that awesome. was definitely, definitely uh, big for me to get those guys to, you know, to just sing or play keyboard on, on my own music you know mm -hmm. so so what's um with the lemmy stuff i know he passed away and everything <clears throat> how close did you guys get because i saw like i saw like a little youtube documentary type thing that with you on it with him and his wife i think it was i think hold you know don't hold me to it yeah um 
see, I, I first met Lemmy, I think, back in 2005, just like everybody else did. At the Rainbow? At, uh, the Rainbow. <laughs> yeah, I saw him there. <laughs> Uh, you probably met Lemmy too when you were at the Rainbow, uh, when you were there in 2006 or seven, whatever year yeah, that was. Yeah, I was there at 16 and 17. Because, you know, Lemmy would, would go to the Rainbow pretty often, so a lot of people got to meet him there. <clears throat> He'd um, sit at his chair just... at the end of the table. Yeah, exactly. He had <laughs> his spot, and he would just play games and talk to people, and, you know, he was uh, always great to everybody. Um, so yeah, lots of people got to meet him that way. Um, I got to play live with Lemmy a couple times. Um, also, that was my goodness, 2010, 11, maybe I think it was 2010. I lose track of time, anyway. Uh, charity gigs, um, there was a, a bass player in a coma, and there was charity gigs for that, that gentleman. Um, and Lemmy joined. Um, I was playing with also Dizzy Reed um, from Guns N' Roses. Um, who else was part of it? I think Scotty Griffin, um, I think he was from LA Guns, was playing too. Um, anyway, so I first met Lemmy. Uh, I mean, I first, you know, got a little closer to him when I played live with him, got to hang out, talk, and, and whatever. So um, that's, you know, that's when I when I got to actually properly meet him i would say and then um you fast forward a few years later in 2014 i was in my room jamming with the guitar writing some riffs and i had a vision you know i was playing this riff and i'm like oh man i i know it's a crazy thought but i bet lemmy's voice would be really awesome on this right mm -hmm. so I, I had this this vision and um I'm like, okay, um, I'd released the song with, with Blaze. I'm like, okay, I already got a, a song with one of my heroes. I know it's it's doable to do things like that. So I'm like, okay, I, there, I have two options. I could A, go to the Rainbow, find Lemmy and then talk to him, but might not be the best idea because, you know, especially at that level, usually it still has to go through labels, people in the offices. So um, I have a friend who was um, close to one of the people from Lemmy's label. So I told that friend, hey, listen, this is my idea. That's my thoughts. I mean, can you get the, my tracks here over to, to that gentleman? Maybe he could take a listen and maybe he, he thinks it's cool. You know, uh, maybe he could pass that on to Lemmy. Who knows? Might be a long shot, but fuck it. You know, uh, let's give it a try. Um, so, you know, that's exactly what happened. My friend gave that to, you know, the guy. And then, uh, you know, Lemmy uh, ended up hearing it. And then um, I got a call a few days later. Lemmy wanted to co-write, and uh, which was absolutely surreal, um, you know, getting that call. Yeah, Lemmy actually will, will co-write with you and, and do a song with you. You know, it's pretty surreal. Um so a few days later, the, the studio was booked. Um, I guess Motorhead was already doing some recordings for their final album. Um, so they basically had me come in on, on their studio time. And, um, you know, we re-recorded um, guitars. And Lemmy came in. He had some some new... 
I had the original idea of the lyrics. The song is called We Are The Ones. And I had that title. I had the main line, um, which said the lyrics was, um, We Are The Ones Forever Going Down History. He kept that, but besides that, Lenny had rewritten his whole entire lyrics and came in with his vocal melodies and and magic happens. I mean, you know, he recorded that. It just, everything fell to the, you know, the right place and and we got that done in no time and um later on um the guy who was recording cameron webb um who was also motorhead's producer um said hey um you know the the drums that you have on there um like i mean is that because you know i'd given him the demo demo stuff and he goes the, the drums that you have on there is that like actual takes or so i said well you know that's that's my uh my buddy dave moreno he he plays in a bottle of mud but um dave had done demo no big deal <laughs> yeah dave dave uh, had done uh, yeah yeah bottle of mud's great band love those guys um but yeah he had done demo vo- demo drums and then uh, Cameron Webb said, "Hey, um, you know, I could, I could get Josh Freeze to play drums, and you know, Josh Freeze, you know, has played with everybody, literally, um, from a Perfect Circle to Guns N' Roses, Nine Inch Nails. That guy's a drum legend. I mean, you know, now I think he plays with Sting, you know, but session guy, awesome drummer." So I'm like, man, I mean, I, I, if you could get Josh, I mean, that'd be fucking awesome. And, and he said, yeah, he'd recorded with Lemmy already on a, on a song on uh, Slash's album. Lemmy had done a, a guest on Slash's album and Josh played the drums or whatever. So he said, I can, I can get Josh. So they got Josh. Josh recorded the drums. Um, he's insanely skilled. I think this may be the most impressive drummer I've ever scene because um I'll, I'll i'll tell you this you might want to hear this um so when i got into the studio um cameron the producer told josh uh well i mean the drums all set up let's let's listen to the track and then you know go behind the kit and record it so josh freeze grabs a piece of paper listens to the song makes a couple notes and he goes all right let's go record it and then the producer, do you want to hear it one more time, just in case? And she's like, sure, play the second time. Made a couple more notes, got behind the kit. He was warming up. They, you know, did the mic check or what they did the levels or whatever you call that. And, um, you know, they, he started uh, recording. He played it once and that was pretty much a keeper. <laughs> Damn. Uh, with the first take, he played that song as if he had, as if he had played it for thirty years. Um, the it was incredible, and then uh, he said, "Let me do a second take. I'll play different fills and stuff. You could always, you know, change the fills or whatever." So he he did about two or three takes, I think it was, and um, and that was that. So yeah, it came out uh, incredible, and you know, I was really happy. You know, of course, I mean, it was surreal for me to work with those guys um yeah yeah i can only i can only imagine my uh buddy uh mike i was he's a he's a musician we played in a band together i was actually a drummer for his band i'm not saying i'm any good but i i managed to play drums for him but um 
he was, I, it was about six o'clock today. I'm thinking, who could I have on with me to talk to Chris? And I'm like, Mike would love it. So then I called him and he couldn't make it, but I showed him, I sent him uh, your Modern Loneliness with uh, Dover and then um, your Lemmy song and stuff. And he was just, he sent me a thousand messages. Holy fuck, the epicness is, in, is crazy. And he just started, you know, telling me everyone that was there. He said, you guys did it in uh, Dave Grohl's recording studio. Yeah, that's correct. So, um, so this is what happened. Now, I didn't know this was going to be like this, but and I had no idea, but this was definitely an eye opener on the music business. Okay, so my friend um, Dana Roxanne had helped me out, you know, in the beginning with, um, you know, getting her friend at the label to get the, the music over to Lemmy and that's how it originally started what i did know is how complicated and how many obstacles were going to be in the way in order to just get one song released i had no idea i'm about to tell you so <clears throat> i had a contract with lemmy we had to to draw a contract um because i guess you know if, yeah i mean usually when when you know unless it's a bunch of friends, but usually it's, it's, there's always a, a contract, right? So we were going to have to have a contract. So we, we drew a contract and, um, Lemmy's lawyer was really, you know, who the hell are you? You're a nobody. You're trying to write Lemmy's coattails. That guy was not having it. Okay. He was trying to be a problem from day one. So, um, my friend um, Roxanne, who, has a law degree was helping me a little bit with that and uh the the lawyer was just being a jerk he really was and and it was getting out of hand so uh, my friend roxanne reached over to a lawyer in century city and uh one of those big guys that worked with everybody i guess in the music business and even people like george lucas or whatever um a lawyer i didn't know him but anyway um so he stepped in and that kind of put things into place and then we had a contract um you know where i could you know use the song mentioning featuring lemmy Kilmister of motorhead um and then i needed permission to use lemmy's image like i needed permission from the estates but regardless and then Lemmy was generous to the point. Um, I'm going to give you an example here. So, you know, we could have easily done 50-50 or, you know, there's even artists out there. Um, I mean, I know that for a fact, even if they don't write a single note of music on a song that ends up on their album, they will take 50% just because it's their album and they're the name and they can so, you know, here Lemmy only wanted 25%, which was insanely generous because, I mean, you know, he'd written most of the lyrics I and mean, vocal melodies. I mean, he's Lemmy. You know, he could have at least asked for 50%, but, you know, he just wanted 25%. So that was ge very generous of him. But um, anyway, when, the, when we got that contract out of the way, then I was approached, then talks began with UDR, which was... Um, Motorhead's label and um, you know they talked about eventually they wanted to maybe buy the master from me and then um, so you know they 
th those lawyers went back and forth for months and months. Overall, I think it took nine months of email going, hundreds of emails going back and forth. And um, I was not happy personally with what they had come up with. Um, they wanted to buy the song from me, give me a chunk of money, but then they had no guarantees on what the song was going to end up, when it was going to come out. That my lawyer had done certain things that were a little fishy too. Uh, he had tried to kind of screw me over, quite frankly, uh, for lack of a better word. But um, so I ended up passing on the whole thing. I'm like, I'm sorry, guys. You know, I'm not signing this thing. You guys can, you know, take a hike. So obviously, my lawyer wasn't happy. Um, UDR probably wasn't happy either. But, you know, I decided to, you know, what I was afraid of was they're going to give me a chunk of money and that song would have been shelved. Motorhead's manager, the guy who became Lemmy's estate, was not particularly happy about that song to begin with. Um, and uh, he didn't want the song to come out, not under those terms anyway. And he tried to, yeah, he, he just wasn't very happy with that whole thing anyway so um i found um another label pacific records um smaller label here uh, in california but um you know what they had to offer sounded very interesting to me they said you know we have the connections with the you know they've grown the, the studio over there we could get the song remixed there we could do a little documentary you're gonna you know we're gonna give you a, an artist friendly distribution deal you'll still own the master i still own the master of course you know they take a cut when the the song comes out um so that sounded very interesting to me the song was checked out over at Kroll studio and then we decided to go ahead and uh yeah we remixed the song on that legendary boards where i mean they recorded those nirvana albums and everybody's recorded on that thing i think even the rolling stones you know what i mean like it's signed by you know <clears throat> you name it it's the board you could see in that uh, sound city movie or whatever mm -hmm. anyway so um yeah we remixed it there sounds killer and then um finally the 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 song ended up coming out after years of being recorded we finished recording it shortly before Lemmy passed and so that was uh, 2015 like I think around March April was the the time when we finished recording it um yeah Lemmy sang Lemmy played the bass I played all the guitars Josh Fries played the drums so the song uh it took you know over a couple of years to be released at first of course I was gonna wait out of respect Lemmy had passed you know, I wasn't going to release anything anytime soon, regardless, you know. Um, and then, of course, all that drama in the offices and, you know, those guys wanting me dead, you know. So um, it took a while for the song to come out, but it did, and I'm very happy. <laughs> yeah, it sounds awesome. Like, I, sh I showed my buddy Mike on the way home from work today, you know, just, you know, an hour, hour and a half ago, and he's like, it is amazing. He loved it. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm glad he did. And, uh, you know, hopefully you guys listening will go ahead and check it out. It's called We Are The Ones, and it featured Lenny. So, 
yeah, definitely go check that one out, folks. Well, you can't, you can't, um, you know, you can say it's from Lemmy too, but Chris DeClerc, obviously, you know, a great guitar player. And then you have the drummer that was, you know, he's, if you want to throw names out there, he was still great too. You know, he, didn't he play in, um, did he play in Queens of the Stone Age too? Was that? Did he play in Queens of the Stone Age, that drummer? Uh, Josh Freeze? I think so. Yeah, that's what my buddy Mike said. He, he said he played for Queens yeah, and Circle. He, he played, I mean, he's a session guy, so he, he did, he played on everybody's record. He played for, I mean, recorded for from Puddle of Mud to Avril Lavigne. I mean, you name it. You turn on the radio, he's he's on there most of the time. Uh, but yeah, he played in Nine Inch Nails, Guns N' Roses, I believe. What does he play uh, live with? Who did, did he ever perfect, play live? A Perfect Circle, he was in there too. He played with Sublime. So yeah, that guy is really awesome. Really fantastic drummer. That is really cool. Speaking of drummers, have you heard from Dave at all since Random Damage? Dave Martin? No, I have not. I have not spoken to him in over a decade. Yeah, since since Random Damage or? Correct. Yeah, because I don't even know where he is. He's uh, he's our, our old Spanish drummer. And you were talking about um, the other drummer um, when he did a tra- when he put down the track for your um, your song and you guys knew like right off the bat it was perfect. Um, I don't know if you know Dad's song, uh, To the Wind. Um, excuse me. Dave did the drums on that, and I guess after the first take, Dad used that one. And he said it's, you know, he said he did it perfect. And uh, Dave was, I think Dave was upset because he want, Dave was a perfectionist, and he wanted to do a couple more because he didn't like it, but it came out so good. So if you ever, I don't know where Dad has it somewhere, but To the Wind from Random Damage, the song, uh, the drumming is just insane on it. And it was only, I think it was the first track. I still have the CD, obviously. I kept that, you know, very preciously, uh, dear memories. But, um, you know, I, I got to talk. I got to take a second to talk about your dad, okay? No, shoot. So, <laughs> um, besides the fact that I'm mad at him because he never got back to me and he's insanely hard to get a hold of. Oh, you're telling me you know I haven't that? talked to him in three months but, since Tuesday. <laughs> But, um, okay, so I've been in Los Angeles. I moved out here in uh, March of 2005. So it's been over 15 years I've been here. That's from Switzerland, right? Um, From Switzerland. You're correct. I I moved out here when I was 18. Um, So I, you know, played in many, many, many bands, played, you know, I ended up on stage or whatever with with a ton a ton 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 of different singers and um to this day i think that one of the very best i've ever played with as far vocal singer your dad he's up there and i'm gonna tell you why when we recorded modern loneliness which i believe it was the second song i've ever written um so I had gotten a hold of him because we were in the band and I said, hey, um, you know, you got your studio, you know, maybe I could, um, you know, rent your studio and I, you know, maybe you could sing on this, right? So your dad said, sure, because originally, I mean, there was my demo vocals and they were not very good. All the words were there. I'd written every word and, and, you know, the melodies were there, but my voice was... Plus, back then, I had stronger of a French accent, you know, French, my first language. So I, you know, I always love your dad's voice. So I'm like, okay, you know, let's have him sing. So he did. And looking back, he 
sang that song real fast. He recorded that song. Okay, let's turn it on, grab the mic. He would sing a line. Then he's like, okay, what's the other line? He would sing it, like sing, you know, bit by bit. He didn't sing it from the beginning to the end. Then he added a couple of harmonies, a couple of things. But he recorded the entire you know, thing in no time. I mean, it took maybe an hour, if that. And his pitch was phenomenal. There was no auto tune. There was no nothing. Yeah, he's so never he used auto tune. He came in stuff. and sang that thing flawless. Yeah, and it's it's good. I mean, you know, it's it's he's up there with all of your Nickelback and your Seether and whatever you could think of but he's way up there probably even better than those guys don't tell him that right now because his head is so big because he thinks he's the king of everything (laughs) (laughs) if you if he ever listens hopefully he hopefully he doesn't hear it just so he knows like you know we could put him down a little bit (laughs) we'll tell him to skip to the point where we're like he sucks But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's there's true. a lot of vocalists out there when they're in the studio, they definitely need that melodyne and a little fixing because, but yeah, your dad was just pretty much, and I think his equipment was analog. He just sang it and that was that. We didn't fix the timing. We didn't fix the pitch. We didn't fix anything. That guy didn't know the song, sang it that good in like an hour. It was insane. It was like, wow, that's, that's really awesome. I can't, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, whatever other experiences i've had in, with singers in the studio um i mean unless you know like lemmy was doing his own thing he was real fast too but uh, you know some of those other guys that maybe have you know have helped me out just to do them or this or that even if they're good singers but they struggled it's still required auto-tune and yeah yeah it was uh it's uh, interesting after 15 years i Think highly of your dad. <laughs> yeah, since we're since we're doing the dad stroke off session, um, we like obviously I've been listening to his music since I was born. You know what I mean? I've listened to it forever, and he's always been you know no matter how much trouble he gives me, sometimes it, he's always been by far my favorite musician. You know what I mean? I've grown up with his style, I've grown up with his voice, and he's never not once, uh, as far as I know, he's never used auto tune. His voice has always been awesome. And if I was to, I just told him this recently, actually, I was listening to one of the random damage songs, excuse me, hold on. And I said, I'm like, this song awaken from random damage. We didn't play alive when I was with you, but I'm like, this song awaken is, I'm like, it's so freaking good. I'm like, if I could, if I had to choose one musician ever to listen to for the rest of my life, I'm like, it would be you by far. You know what I mean? He, his genre of music stretches so wide. You know what I mean? He does it from the small, slow acoustic stuff to the heavy. He's had metal songs, and it's there's so much space in between compared to like a lot of even popular musicians. Yeah, and he, he is he's he's very very good. And I wish um, I don't know if you ever heard of his group after Random Damage in L.A. Uh, Wild and Ash. Yeah, I didn't like it very much. No, I loved I mean, it. I, I thought it was great. Here's here's the thing. I, it wasn't really my style. I mean, um, he talked about it a lot then. And um, actually, not that long ago, might have been a couple of months ago, I went on YouTube and looked up Wild and Ash because I, I was wondering, like, oh, let me remember. And I wasn't too crazy of that. It, it just wasn't really my style. But again... Mm-hmm. 
Um, you have to remember yeah. the one thing though. If you look up Wild and Ash right now, most of the songs that pop up are songs um, from after him. And what I noticed um, in what Dad said too is the story behind Richard is um, that I've heard anyway. You know, if if anyone who's listening knows the true story, comment below. Um, is you remember where Dad's studio was? It was in that giant warehouse, and right. um, he, I guess Richard was walking through the lobby and he asked dad's girlfriend at the time where such and such studio is some girl. And she's like, Oh, I don't know, but I have this other guy. And she brought Richard up to dad and they started doing their thing. Right. Um, and they talked and, you know, dad recorded and, uh, dad, I guess kind of added his taste of heaviness. So if you listen to the album, um, fuck wild and ash, um, <laughs> I'm having a complete blank. Whatever album my dad was on, um, Cool Place in Hell. Everything else around that album was Richard's style, and it was really slow. And it's like a, it's, it's not my. I don't like it either. But I don't know if you did. You listen to the Cool Place in Hell album, or are you just looking listening to everything else? Yeah, I, I did. Um, but yeah, I, you know, there was some cool stuff on there. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, again, it's personal preference. Oh yeah, of course. Oranges, you know what I mean. Some people like certain things, some people don't. Um, I I wasn't that moved, you know, by the project. There was a, a few tracks I really liked. Um, I mean, of course, your dad's work. I, I, I your dad's work. I liked Random Damage better. It was heavier. Um, Random Damage was him. You know what I mean. You know, the exactly, other album was everyone exactly. combined. But what so, I liked, what I liked about it is a lot of it was on a lot of the songs. Dad got to concentrate on the guitar playing, so when he was playing live or anything else, I saw Dad have a lot of fun with it because he didn't have to concentrate on singing. So he, you right. know, a lot of his riffs and stuff are something slightly more difficult than he would normally do if he was to try to play it and sing it himself. So I feel that's like what, that's what I, so, I liked about it. Oh, sorry, I'm interrupting. No, you're good. Go <laughs> No, I, I. That's what he told me back then. Yeah, that's what your dad told me back then. I get to focus more on the guitar, which you know, which was cool. You know, to hear more of more of his guitar. You know, there, like you said, yeah, he he definitely had that. You know, added that heavy touch to that guy's vocals and style, and and that was cool. You know, for sure. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, it was. Uh, how long did your dad do that project? When when did he stop? When you moved away from uh, LA? Yeah, honestly, I couldn't tell you an on uh, an actual timeline, but I do remember he was recording with Richard at the time we played in LA. Because do you remember? I don't know if you came with us because I I have really really bad memory, but I remember after we played at the Troubadour, um, we headlined. Not a big deal. Just saying. <laughs> uh, he had a limo outside for us. Richard did. So I know he right. was recording with Richard at least at that time. But then after I went back home, he um, he continued with Richard. And I know they won a couple Battle of the Bands and they had their own process that was that was going on. But um, I couldn't give you an honest timeline of how long it was. Because Richard lives in L.A., correct? Yes. So your dad would fly back and forth? No, he was still out there after I left. I left. Uh, we played in July. And I think either end of July or in August in 2007. And a few weeks later, I moved back to Maine. Uh, I don't know how long. Dad was out there for a while after that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, now your dad has to 
come up with, you know, A, he needs to put out another random damage album. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he has or... some stuff up there, but he's not recording it like he used to. I personally think that without having his other studio, and I don't know whether he just doesn't do it the way he does, I don't think his recordings are coming out as well. His songs are great, man. You should hear some of the new songs. They are just gold. But the recordings aren't as strong as um, Random Damage was. I feel like his his passion in it and Random Damage, yet again, personally, was so much more. You know, I mean, his songwriting is still is still great, but his recordings haven't been as as great as I want them to be. Yeah, I would definitely love to hear it. Um, you know, it's interesting with with the music and musicians. Um, time passes, and sometimes, I mean, the music industry. Sometimes it's hard to stay positive and to have that passion because. Your dad chose to move away from L.A., which in the long run might have been a very good decision. Honestly, the music scene is not what it used to be. It's not. It's nothing like what it was, okay? There's nothing happening, and not just because of COVID. It was a dying scene anyway. Los Angeles is not what it once was. Um, Now, what do you mean by that? I'm sure a lot of people from here actually share my opinion. There's still things. I mean, there's still clubs, but... Those places are dead. People don't care as much for live music. People don't care about rock music. Um, seems like, anyway. So, you know, the the music, it's a different thing now. The, the scene here is dead. Music doesn't sell. I mean, it's impossible to make money with music. Like, I don't understand how some people become millionaires. They might have you know endorsement like those rappers or i don't know what it was i guess in licensing you could still make some money if you managed to license one of your songs to a big movie a tv show or something you could get something but nobody buys music anymore records do not sell cds don't sell Um, i still actually buy cds (laughs) you know it's you know, I'm guilty of it too. I'm, I'm kind of like um, a lot of people out there. I mean, I got my Pandora, like Spotify, right? Yes. You pay your t- 10 bucks a month and you listen to whatever you want for a flat fee. I listen to my own music on, <laughs> on Spotify sometimes. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's... But how can you make money? If nobody buys your music, you're not going to make a dime. If you're not famous, I mean, you're not going to make money touring. I mean, if anything, you'll spend money on gas. You you can't make any money. So it's like in this day and age, I, in my opinion, you need that major label with major connections that are going to do their massive promotions and somehow make you blow up. Otherwise, how can you survive? It's... I, I know some people will, you know, say, well, you know, Chris, I mean, you know, you got to build your brand. You could find a way around it. But personally, I, I, it's very difficult, you know, and it, with all those struggles, you know, it's it's sometimes it will make a lot of people lose their motivation, lose their passion sometimes. Um, you know, I was just reading just the other day from uh, on, an online article, Jason Hook, um, uh, who was in a five-finger death punch, apparently just got out of the band. Um, 
but the guy was saying, um, yeah, you know, I'm looking forward to, you know, releasing new tracks. I'm really excited. I'm sure, you know, it's going to be exciting for you guys too, but uh, I'm not looking to make any money because I know I'm not going to make any money. And it's, and that's the thing, nobody buys. So how can you really make money? You know, wasn't the thing with the streaming, like I read, uh, oh, what was that article? Um, if you wanted to make $4,000 off of Spotify, like you'd, you'd have to, you'd need like many, many multi-millions of plays. So unless you're, you know, famous, should I say, who's going to give you multi-millions of plays on of streams? It's, it's You know what I mean? Yeah, you almost need the names like... You know, Lemmy, you had all those guys on there. It's like the closest it seems like you had to having that that point. Well, and, and, and again, I mean, you know, it's like, I mean, let's take that, for example. I mean, um, hundreds of thousands of plays on Spotify. I mean, it's on Pandora. It's everywhere, right? Um, it's on YouTube also, you know, 100,000 over plays, whatever. Um, you know, the money I've made, and I own the masters, right? This is, you know, my song. So I definitely, um, you know, it's, I mean, the money that's, that's after the six month royalty period. I mean, the money you're getting from this, I could go buy myself a dinner and that's it. Hey, better than nothing. Music doesn't sell better than nothing, but I, you know, it's play music because you love it. And that's what it is. And I don't care if I make money with that song or not. I absolutely don't. Lemmy didn't do it to make money. You know, I'm just glad I got to live that moment with Lemmy. If it doesn't make money, as long as the song the song is out for people to hear, you know, for me, that's all that matters. But yeah, I think that I've released the song with Blaze Bailey, um, um, A Miracle Away my song when blaze sang on it and i released that one i think it was in 2012 and i'd made more money off that one because back then it was still a trend for people to go buy you know um songs off of itunes right Mm -hmm. so you know it made even a little bit more money off that one technically because people were still buying a little bit at the time but now it's over. <laughs> so, Nothing's out there now. Was that? It's not. It's not like making you anything anymore. It's just slash slowed down. I mean, you know, it's it's again, you know, it's I I want to put out my own album, release songs and stuff, just to to have my art, if that's the word out there, and to share <clears> with other people, and if they like it and want to check it out, even better. Um, but you know, it's sometimes you have to 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 get realistic and the opportunities that you have to make a a living with the music it's it's getting more limited you know you could hopefully get hired by an established you know almost or should i say famous band or something you know then you'll get a salary but on your own you're an up-and-coming artist with a small label even or you know you're gonna struggle man you'll need a day job (laughs) so well you do do a day job right what do you do yeah i do actually have a day job especially now COVID times i'm very 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 grateful to have that job i'll tell you that because apparently many people don't have work so i'm very glad to have work 
Um, I work at a smoke shop on Hollywood Boulevard uh, in the middle of Hollywood. Uh, Hollyweird, or now Hollywood is not a good place to be. It's It looks like a war zone. It's homeless, gang members. I mean, it, it, it doesn't look like it used to even a few years back. It's it's not a pretty sight. Um, the stuff I see at work is is frightening. Sometimes I can tell you that. I hear that all um, the time. Like so there's a lot of I guess L.A. and San Francisco is getting in. I'm, I'm assuming a lot of other places, but I guess the homeless from when I was out there in 2000, you know, six seven, is just it's a like 700 times worse because there was a lot of homeless I, people then. Absolutely. Now it's even worse. I mean, it's like entire cities. It's like. You know, there's sidewalks you can't even walk on because it's just, it's more than just the tents. Now they build their own wooden houses. It's its insane. Uh, they take over certain parts. You can't even go there. Like, it's, it's really crazy. I'm surprised they allow that to happen. But apparently it's, the laws are cool with that. So, um, yeah, it's. It's gone a little far. Um, it's not even but, so much cool. I think it's there's so many. It's like, what do you do at that point? You know what I mean? There's so many. You have to build an extra. If you were to arrest the guys, you'd have to build two, three, four, five prisons <laughs> just to support them. You know what I mean? It's like, where would you? What would you do with them? I don't know. I mean, you know, it's it's a strange thing because my uh, my friend was just pointing out to my attention that just the other day. He goes. Do you notice like a lot of those problems and stuff? It's like, especially in democratic cities, like they have certain laws that allow a lot of that stuff when other states would not be as tolerant for certain things. Um, for example, I mean, I, uh, um, my, um, there's a security patrol that came in um, the shop where I work a couple of days ago. And one of the guys said, yeah, um, now the new DA that's about to be coming in, um, you know, things will, he's going to change laws about, uh, trespassing. I, uh, am I pronouncing that word right? Yep. Trespassing. Trespassing. Yep. Yeah. So that's no longer going to be a crime. So the guy goes, basically if a crazy person, like a <clears throat> crazy meth, meth head comes into the shop and starts causing chaos, you call the cops. They're not going to come. They don't care. That is crazy. Um, you, you call us. Well, we can't do anything. A few years ago, they had, it was cleaner because when people would act up, security would come. Like, you know what I mean? They would, but now there's more and more laws like that, that they're allowed that it, it gets out of hand. So California is quite disappointing in my opinion. That I'm is not crazy. aware of the situation in every other state, but I'm definitely a little disappointed with California on certain degrees. I've heard that, yeah, I've heard California's just gone crazy with the homeless, and I've heard, like, you know, Los Angeles is a ghost town um, when it comes to Hollywood and everything else. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's honestly, it's very, it's very depressing. You drive around, you've got tents everywhere. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, half of that stuff is closed. Sorry, you cannot go to a small store. It has to shut down because there is a deadly virus. But meanwhile, please go to Walmart and Target. That's cool. They're open. There's no virus there. I mean, it's, I, I don't know. There's certain things to me. It just, you know what I mean? It, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now there's, you've got more homeless, more crazy 
things. Uh, there's a mass exodus out of California. Um, you guys can Google that. I mean, all the celebrities one by one are starting to leave. Um, you know, Elon Musk is taking Tesla out of uh, gone to Texas. Uh, what was the other one that I just saw on the news today? Oracle, I think one of the giants of Silicon Valley, is has left for Texas as well. That's another, you know. So a all lot of people money, going to Texas. Are, that's money that's not going to be paid in taxes, so it's going to get more and more expensive for the people living here. It's insanely expensive. Yeah, you know, one of my rent is crazy expensive, but crazy expensive for yeah, it's it was make crazy sense. then too though when I was out there like rent was always crazy. You always yeah. had to have roommates. Yeah, yeah, and now now definitely. I mean, you know, it's like I live in a one bedroom. I mean, I do have a roommate, but um, you know, in my building, a one bedroom, which is West Hollywood. I mean, it's a decent decent place. Uh, in my building, they're like $2,200 for a one-bedroom. Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, so that's what I'm saying. I'm pretty sure anywhere else in America, you could probably rent a pretty nice house for that kind of money. Dude, I, I bought my own house. <laughs> my mortgage is, is, is half that. <laughs> like my mortgage, everything, go. insurance, all that crap is half of what you just paid. I'm pretty sure. So now looking back, your dad leaving Los Angeles to go back to New Hampshire, maybe that was a great decision. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm, I wish I wish he stayed, but I, you know, like personally he he got into some stupid stuff. He was he was starting to get into some um you know, bad things to do and uh so I'm happy he did get out for that reason, but at the same time, you know, things don't change that much. Um and I think he I think he he wasn't concentrating when he went there. He may have been doing stupid stuff, but it was more about the music. And I personally think that it was um, things were changing. His priorities were changing, and uh, I think he had to get out. Yeah, yeah. Then that's definitely time to time to get out for sure. But yet again, Dad could be in here right now, and he'd be th- saying, "Nope, that's not how it is." But you know, <laughs> as his son, I can say what I what I think. <laughs> Right, right, right. Okay, so now you say that everything's crazy down there roads-wise. Like, when I was out there before I even met you, I was 16. I lived there from, um, I want to say, like, September to June or whatever. Um, I was out there a lot, and what Dad, what Dad would do is he would have me um, walk up and down the roads trying to sell random damage tickets to different shows. And I was 16, no cell phone, no nothing, and I would just walk between the Viper Room and the Key Club over and over again i couldn't even get into many places because i was so young no id no nothing but um like what's just from that strip because that's the only real big area that i remember is that like taken over from homeless too from viper well yeah well so okay it's you know it's not the same the key club has closed now it's one oak Uh, it's a hip-hop club that was bought by you know, whatever, Jay-Z or something. Oh, that sucks. Um, that place was awesome when I was out there. It was awesome. So now it's one of those things where if you're not on the list, you're not getting in, and then they let hot chicks go in, like that kind of... Man, because they actually know. let me in. I knew uh, Luke, the original guitar player for Random Damage, he was one of the bouncers, and he would let me in. He got a couple other bouncers to let me in, too, when they, he wasn't there. So that was one of the few clubs <laughs> I could get into. That place was awesome. Um, 
so now it's no longer there was the cat club that's closed now it's like an irish restaurant or something really irish cat club is gone the viper room is still there that's still intact so is the whiskey a gogo and the roxy um the rainbow uh that you know you've been there yeah legendary rainbow barn grill um that's where i touched my first boob Nice. I was 16. My dad just gra- went over and talked to a girl, and she just grabbed my hand and put it down her shirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, what a crazy place that used to be. Now hardly anybody goes there. I mean, you know, the vibe has changed. The owner passed away. He was there all the time. Lemmy passed away. Things change, you know. Um, you'd see Ron Jeremy there every night. Now, good God, Ron is into all kinds of troubles i don't know anything about that but <laughs> so um you know so the, the 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 rainbow was no longer as crowded as it once was um you know it's it's my friend used to joke and say now it's like a tombstone it's like a cemetery there it's i mean in a way it's like yeah there's nights i'm like oh god you'd go there there's nobody and i'm like oh man that's so sad there was still good nights don't get me wrong but, um, you know, I mean, when you think 80s, oh, God, those days are gone. 90s <laughs> was super booming, too. Early 2000 was still happening. But after 2010, that whole Sunset Strip kind of lost its popularity, I guess you could say. Damn. Like, it's not, you know, the cool kids in town are not going to go to the Sunset Strip to party now. You know what I mean? No, fuck them. I just want to be able to say I played in the, the... It's the club name that matters to me at this point. You know what I mean? If I can play downstairs at the Roxy... Because we... Random damage, we played upstairs. You know what I mean? If I played downstairs, that would be gold. If I could play the Viper Room, that would be amazing. You know what I mean? That's Hold my goal. Hold on one second. I thought we had played at the downstairs at the Roxy with Random. No, we played upstairs in that little stage in the corner. <laughs> we played oh, the Troubadour. We played the Troubadour the next night on the big stage. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, that's coming back to me. Um, but then again, I mean, you know, it's like it's it's those are just clubs, man. It's just, I mean, I know there's a lot of history. Um, you know, I've played those clubs, you know, twenty times over, and I'm like, eh, I'm over it. Um, yeah, then, yeah, I'm over it. <laughs> you know, but you you gotta think of it this way though. There's a lot of hassle that go with that. Parking's a nightmare. You know, like there's there's a whole you know it's yeah it's it's yeah i've I've definitely had a, a bunch of you know experiences playing in those clubs where they've i've been like pretty irritated i'm like oh really like you're waiting outside with the gear for an hour the bouncers security treat you like garbage um you know like yeah there's been there's definitely been moments i'm like why am i doing this again um (laughs) you know it's cool the first few times after a while you're like oh okay you know but and you know i mean it's 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 tough to get people to come see your shows you know well we were lucky when we played the troubadour we were the last band on and we the place was pretty busy you know i mean we had a lot of bands before us and we were lucky it was a saturday night and it was crazy. And the bad part about me is I was 17. I was so nervous that for both shows that we played, I played at the time, I played b- bass with a pick. And my forearm stiffened up so hard it hurt for the first <laughs> half of both shows. 
because I was I still played, but it hurt really really bad, and I couldn't concentrate on the show. So like what you said is at first it was really really cool to play the shows, but you kind of got over it. I'm still in the I'm 32 and I'm still in the mindset of it would be really cool to play there. Obviously, I'd want a crowd, but like that's what I want. Whether it's just once at all, I just want to be able to go there and say I played there at an age where it actually mattered to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think I was glad, and I, and I can say this, and same with me. Uh, my mom was pointing that out to me, and, and I think she's definitely right. I, I actually met your parents. Well, they were at the show with us. You did. You definitely yeah. did. Um, my mom actually lives here in L.A. now. Um, but, um, uh, you know, you got to experience briefly, me a little longer, because, you know, I definitely lived here all those years. But um, you got to experience it when it was still cool you know when it was still happening and now it's not where it was you know like my um, my friend from japan came to visit me a year ago he used to live in hollywood until 2006 late 2006 and then he used to go to all those places house of blues which on sunset which is now shut down too damn i literally i have i have a google pulled up right now of pictures and it's you and it's you playing at the, the house of blues it's a badass oh, yeah. picture too, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that that place was awesome. They they tore it down, you know. So it's it's not what it was, you know. LA has changed a lot. If you came back, you'd probably be like, oh wow, it's it's different now. It's not what I remember, you know. So I'm glad you got to experience a little bit of it then, when it was still really really happening. Um, <laughs> You know, we kind of caught the last wave of rock and roll in a way. You know, rock and roll was still trendy 2005, 6, 7, 8, you know. It was still it was still there, you know, and modern rock was was booming all that stuff. Now it's it's yeah. Well, there's as, a there's a lot of exciting, I would say. No, definitely. There's a lot of new bands that I just don't find. I feel like an old man when I say it. Like rock and roll isn't what it used to be. You know what I mean? It's not no. rock music is not what it used to be, but there's a band that just came out or has been out they don't even have a CD yet. They only have like six songs, five or six songs on iTunes that I bought. But I'm um, Dirty Honey. You should check them out. They sound, they have like a Led Zeppelin, Guns N' Roses sound, and they are very, very good. And if I had to pick one one band in the last, you know, ten years to say, hey, check these guys out, it was them. I had a buddy show me a couple years ago, or maybe not even a year ago. Uh, Dirty Honey, and I'm like, dude, I was hooked instantly because I have not found a new band in a long time that is good, and they are a class, not classic, like, they're the classic sound, it's the sound that we grew up on that we would really like, and I think you would like them, if you ever hear them, they're, they travel, they just haven't gotten to that next step yet. I have to check them out, I'm not familiar with them, so I, I you know, I don't have If you opinion. do, If you do um, check them out, let people, me know what you think. I've heard a lot of friends say, hey, you know, yeah, what the hell is up with those bands? They're just wannabe Zeppelin. They're like, what's the other one? Greta Van Fleet or something like that. That's um, what someone told me, too. They sound like that, but they're not nearly as good as Dirty Honey, I personally think. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to have to check out that band because um, I, I don't think I've heard anything from them. I mean, I wasn't, you know, extremely. I was, I was excited that you know to hear that there's still some rock bands that are coming out of course um even though i like a lot of other you know musical genres personally 
um not just you know rock not just you know i don't label me as an 80s rocker i'm not you know it's like um you know but i may have long hair but uh you know i i'm all over the place but yeah like you know when when my friends tell me oh they're just trying to be zeppelin that's kind of when i that again i i have to take a listen so i can you know make my own opinion but uh you know, I'm like, oh, okay, well, if they're just trying to be something that was already there, like if it's just a watered-down version of the original. Again, I'm, I'm going to have to check out, check that out. I'm going to put that on my list, and I'll, I'll definitely give those guys Dirty Honey a listen and uh, and look into it. Yeah, sure. let, me, let me know what you think, because I'm curious about it. And yes, they may have like an older Led Zeppelin, uh, Guns N' Roses sound, especially the singer. If you hear him, he does sound like a lot of them. But the difference is, is... You know, those some of those bands aren't coming out with new songs, and I still like the sound. So I'm not afraid to say I like I like the bands that still sound like those old bands because that's the genre I like. And those bands aren't doing it anymore. So what am I supposed to do? Just end? Like stop listening to new music? You know, I mean, this is the new band, and yes, they have the old sound, but it's it's that's what I like to listen to, and that's I feel like it's you know it just continues, and that's a great for me personally. That's a great thing. I like I'm very happy that that sound is coming back. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm definitely 100% with you, you know, there that, you know, I'm glad to see that there's, you know, bands that are still, you know, doing the rock and roll, rock, whatever styles of rock, that they're still out there because, you know, it's not really promoted that much in a way. I mean, (sighs) these days it's... it's, uh, You've got your classic rock radio stations and stuff, but yeah, for the new stuff in rock, you know, the labels or whatever, it doesn't seem like they're really trying to push, you know, that many bands much, rock bands, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, if you're trying to get a record deal as a rock band, it would probably probably be difficult, whatever record deal means still in this day and age. No, definitely. One thing you like about him, kind of, is uh, the bass player. He's a lefty bass player, and his hair is, like, bigger than Slash's. It's the same style, and he wears, like, sunglasses, kind of like him. He looks like Slash, but a lefty bass player. <laughs> and, of course, you're oh, nice. you being a lefty guitar player. Nice. Yeah, there's not many lefties out there. That's for sure. That's cool. I'm definitely going to have to check that out. I will open them up on YouTube and all, and all of that. Check them out live and see what's out there definitely yeah with with the, those times right now with that COVID, that must be a struggle for all of those bands because yeah what can they do to make money now yeah i know i know a lot of bands have been doing the uh they'll play live but it's from their homes and they'll do like four videos and it's like one from their part of the studio one from the drummer and they'll just put them all into one video where it's you know they're four four cameras so they're still jamming and like having a practice or whatever, but they're posting it as um, just from their homes. I've seen that a few times. It was pretty cool. <clears throat> yeah, I've seen some of that too. I mean, nothing like the real thing though. <laughs> no, hells no. Of course not. We have this uh, club up here. I used to give them a huge comment and shout out. I, I Rumor has it they were, they've been sold. At least the building has been sold. So I don't think the uh, the club is there really. But it was a club called Two One Two Live or Live at Two One Two. That's what it was. And what you know, what was it called? CBGBs is that the one that the Ramones and stuff played at? Yeah, that was in New York, right? Yeah. 
this place reminds me of that because what like what CBGB did is it was a lot of like new bands, you know, upcomers and stuff they would play at this club. Live at 212 did that. It was a lot of local, some from out of state, you know, bands that are, you know, younger and um, Random Damage actually played there a couple times and some of my favorite shows because I, you know, got to play guitar for once, my preferred instrument. And um, I knew some of the people and it was just a small hole in the wall bar with a stage and it just gave you the chance to have the young bands play somewhere. And the owner, he appreciated everything. He goes, whether you're good, whether you suck, he goes, I just want to hear originals. You know what I mean? I want to see the, the talent come up here and just do their best. And it was such a, the aura of the place, the, it was, it was very, very good. And I'm, I'm sad to see it leave because of COVID. Yeah, no, that's, you know, so many of those venues are just going to go. It's music's never going to be the same. You know, it's God knows how long it's going to take for things for them to say, okay, we're going to reopen, you know, and then, those places so many places will have shut down because you know i mean going out of business you know how long can they i mean another thing too it's like you know you're uh, as some of the listeners probably know you you're a zamboni driver mm-hmm. right yeah Let, let's let's talk about hockey okay so um the rink i i play at a rink i play a couple times a week or i play hockey too as, as i told you yeah goalie goalie that's right it's the best position there is on, on the <laughs> ice <laughs> um but um so i was talking to one of the guys at one of the rinks they never shut down the illegal i mean i guess against the orders or whatever you call you call that right we have a rink they up here s- that did that too a separate rink they stayed open march april May. they never shut down okay they decided to stay open and said screw it we're staying open but i talked to one of the guys and the guys was telling me he goes look man our bills are so expensive to get the rink here i forgot what he said i don't want to say um, a wrong number but i mean you know the guy was like yeah it's like 15 20k or whatever to keep that ring just open you know if we shut down we go under we're gonna close so we have to stay open you know yeah we did it we shut and- down for like three or four months you guys shut down, yeah. 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 It's, um, and, and, you know, again, that's, that's another thing that really got me upset, you know, over these last few months. I mean, you know, things are going crazy and, you know, the, the, it's crazy madness everywhere, right? All the reasons we know. But, um, you know, I mean, it's like governors or they say, oh, no, guys, you guys cannot go play. You know, I'm sorry, we can't have you play hockey. So, sorry, 20 guys cannot get together and play some hockey because there's a virus. But meanwhile, you have 50,000 people that were protesting, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, practically holding hands. 50,000 people, that's like a Metallica concert. The news didn't complain about that. Nobody had a problem with that. Nope. You know, so it's fine if you have 50,000 people protesting, but it's not cool for 20 guys to get together and play some hockey. I mean, to me, that sounds a little ridiculous, but... They just made it. They just made it. Do they have to do it at your rank? Do you have to skate with a mask on? Uh... Some people do. I well, here's the thing. There's a few rinks. Usually, 
ice skates, the rink where ice skates most of the time is the Toyota Center. That's where the Kings practice. It's a really nice rink. Um, but that one shut down after COVID and they're barely open for certain things and they're open for the Kings, of course. But I have not skated back there um, since. Um, there's a rink in Burbank, which is, you know, still L.A. That one um, is open. Um, they're a little strict. Uh, they'll take your temperature and stuff. But for now, anyway, they were closed for a while. Then they opened. We could go play pickup. And then they were closed. Then they reopened. So we could play pickup. I don't think we have to skate with masks on. I'm sorry I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah, We do. Uh, <laughs> Up at our rinks, you can't skate unless you have a mask on. That's insane. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I have a goalie mask. How about that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're not. You're not like. There's some rinks that we, while we're doing the ice, the Zamboni driver who's out there alone, we have to wear a mask. We don't uh, usually. Yeah, yeah. We don't. <laughs> you know, personally, I pull the thing down. I'm not going to wear a mask while I'm all alone in a 200 by 85 <laughs> rink. So yeah, that rink in Burbank, it's it's strict enough i mean they sanitize every three minutes and then uh, you know they take your temperature and but the other rink they don't care like mm-hmm. you come in mask no mask we don't care we're open they they're not doing anything they do not care and you know i mean again you know it's uh, i mean if that's what's gonna keep them open i mean i don't know why not if you if, if people are that scared then they of the virus then stay home then don't go play hockey exactly don't don't go shoulder to shoulder with other people but um how so do you do you play yourself of course right yeah 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 i play men's league um up here um i run a uh one of the teams the hab haters (laughs) i'm obviously you know hockey so you probably know who the canadians are right right that's cool so how many times a week do you play i mean well, usually nor- before COVID. Yeah, we play once a week. Um, I obviously I work at a rink, so I can skate when I want for the most part. I'll have sometimes when I'm closing, I'll have groups be like, "Hey, we need a player," and I'll just jump on before you know between ice makes. But um, excuse me, the team, you know, we have two seasons: one in the winter and one in the summer, and we would play um, about ten games, not counting playoffs in the summer, and about twenty games, not counting playoffs in the winter. Um, and we play once a week, you know, there's a couple months between seasons that we have a little break, but yeah, but right now we're not playing where it keeps getting pushed back. We were supposed to start again. We're still in the middle of a season. We're supposed to start again, December 14th, but now it's getting pushed to January 4th at least, you know what I mean? But there's rumors that everything's going to get shut down again, like, like tight, tight. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, but luckily my so, boss is still finding a way to pay us so we don't have to go on unemployment, so that's good. <laughs> right, yeah, that's that's good for now, but hopefully they don't drag this on too long because your rank is probably not going to keep paying you for for much longer either after a while you know they need money runs out. <laughs> yeah, yes, the, the rank is bleeding right now, money. It is just... But, hey, my boss has been really, really good to us, and he said he's going to do everything in his power to make sure that, you know, there's something to do. <laughs> Keep us busy. Because we we're not, like, on the city like a normal rink. We're, uh, we're a nonprofit. We have board members, and we have very, very extremely rich people to be able to throw the rink a few dollars, I think, to 
keep her going. You know what I mean? So it doesn't go under. Oh, nice. Yeah. So we are we are very lucky in our situation. That's awesome. Yeah. So what's your uh, what's your position of choice on the ice? Oh, forward. <laughs> I am not the greatest hockey player. Like I can play. I know how to skate and shoot. Like I know how to do all that. But you know, if you were looking for skill, you don't come to me. <laughs> If you're looking for entertainment, like my hair is actually really, really long, like yours right now. And um, I was going to ask you, like, how do you wear your hair? Because I just let mine go. Like, you can't even see my numbers on the back. Wow. Um, what I do is, because, uh, yeah, my hair is long. I mean, it's it's done. It's uh, past my shoulders a little bit. I mean, my hair used to be down, you know, middle of my chest. I recently chopped off about six inches. Um I mean, it's still under my shoulders. Um, what I do is that I just do like a little, uh, I take a little hair tie. I do like a little mini, how do you call that? Like a mini bun, like a, a ponytail that I fold. Like on the bottom of your mask? So like a mini ponytail. And then I put like a uh, some kind of, you know, um, like some kind of bandana pretty much. And then, you know, the mask goes over and it's fine. So, yeah, my hair, I don't let my hair down. Yeah, mine's longer than that and I just let it go. I'm just out there for entertainment. (laughs) I entertain people. They look at that guy like, who's the guy with the crappy mustache and the hair down to his ass? (laughs) Oh, you have a mustache now. Oh, just like a crap. Like, I can't grow facial hair. I can grow like a goatee thing, but it's not the strongest. And I can't grow anything on my cheeks. (laughs) And I'm 32. Wow. Are you a beard guy? Can you grow a beard? Yeah, not not an insane, you know, super thick, super. I mean, I, yeah, my, I mean, my beard is thick enough. I could have a beard, but I mean, it's not like, uh, you know, some people are extremely hairy and fuzzy. You know, my beard is, uh, you know, it's not the thickest, thickest, you know, I, you know. So, but yeah, I mean, it's every few days I'll. I'll get a little lazy and then, you know, I get, you know, half, you know, half an inch. And I'm like, oh, I got to shave that off. Yeah. All your I, pictures, I, you have no beard. I like it better. No beard. You know, it's kind of itchy to me. It just, it feels like I want to pull on it or something. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe it's just me. You know, I, I don't know how people can do beards. Like it would give me the impression you'd want to pull on them after a while. <laughs> all right. And also I want to, since we're, you know, all your pictures and stuff are you on stage. What's up with the uh, fishnet tank top thing? The fishnet tank top. Uh, I used that more back then. Uh, now, not as much. Um, I used that a lot for, <laughs> let's see. I used that a lot for the Michael Jackson tribute bands. I was in that Michael Jackson tribute band for many years. It's a shame they stopped. The singer, I guess it was too much for him to handle. And the manager wasn't that great. Um, it was his longtime friend, and I don't think the guy had a clue what he was doing. But So I was in this Michael Jackson tribute band, which was awesome. We had like a good two-and-a-half-hour set, dancers, costume changes, you name it. So the guy looked like Michael Jackson. He kind of did, really. Um, like a thriller era Michael Jackson mm-hmm. very skinny guy professional dancer so he had all the moves down okay singer I mean I'm sorry nobody compares to Michael Jackson no offense um, so he was not nearly as good as MJ not even close but 
the show was entertaining and um you know so yeah then uh i definitely had like uh i would use like yeah like fishnet tank tops and then uh put like a silver sparkle little vest on top or something like that <laughs> but it kind of went well with the show or with some with with the like the you know dirty rock and roll bands you know it's like you throw on some some jeans and cowboy boots and and i had some some of the fishnet you know things too I'd usually maybe put a little vest on top of it if i didn't then it was probably a long long time ago but um yeah a lot of the pictures i pull them up here they're just just fishnet one of them is like you walking and it's uh like you have like a jacket top on it like a suit jacket but it's still you with your fishnets (laughs) i always thought it was funny seeing those yeah that was probably many years ago uh i mean i'd still wear that i don't care (laughs) oh i hear Um, you there i I wore them during like halloween costumes and everything else i'm not afraid one let's see i mean yeah when I was playing with that guy, Xander Black, um, I definitely, they definitely liked a more, uh, what's the word? They tried to be more hipster a little bit, if that's the word. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like just like a black t-shirt and just dark jeans or something. Oh, you know, the typical look. I hate that's that. That's about <laughs> all I would do. Um, and actually, you know, now that we're talking on this, I'll, I'll mention that because that's also music industry related. In 2013, I joined this guy. I, I, I was, I was walking at the Grove, that awesome mall that they have in uh, LA, just getting some coffee there. And I randomly start talking to a guy that's, you know, in line. And then he's like, Oh, my friend, you know, he's a singer just moved out here from New York. You guys should meet. I think you may need a guitar player. So, um, he introduced me to, you know, his friend Xander Black, um, great singer. And the guy was signed to, um, uh, the guy was signed to 101 records, which is a division of Capitol records, pretty much. Um, it's uh, Red One, that producer, uh, Red One, who the guy, you know, produced everybody from uh, Justin Bieber to Michael Jackson to he co-wrote. I think he's more famous for uh, more well known for his work with Lady Gaga. He co-wrote and recorded all of those Lady Gaga hits she's got from, you know, Poker Face, Bad Romance, all that stuff. But anyway, um so I ended up playing with Xander. He liked my playing and it, it was a fit. So I started playing with them and, you know, it's like, Oh man, like that's cool. That's a science band, you know, red ones, the producer, that, that guy, like that's big, you know, there's the label. There was a gentleman named Randy Phillips, um, who was the head of AG live. Um, he was the, the manager, if I recall, if I'm not, wrong don't quote me on this but i think he was also prince's manager in the 80s or something so anyway one of the big hollywood guys worth hundreds of millions of dollars anyway and then uh you know when i joined that singer xander i was really excited because i'm like well i mean you know look at the people we're working with there's red one there's the label there's this that's gotta go somewhere you know, some some great stuff's gonna come out of this, and um, you know, it's yeah, we did have some cool gigs, played some cool opening acts, or you know, crowded places, all that stuff. You know, um, big venues, but um, 
yeah and then time passes and then uh you know record at the jim henson studios or um the, the capital one too and then uh time passes nothing's going on the label's not pushing it and and then time passes and then years later yeah he's xander was dropped and i was like what that that was interesting to me it, it felt like just to get in the hands of those people you know those big people that could potentially make you blow up as an artist right i mean you know um people like yeah like red one or you know randy phillips you know just to get to those people feels like it's a million miles away and when you get there then you realize you're it's still a million miles away to get to any kind of uh you know accomplishment success you know what i mean so very interesting uh very interesting thing that changed my vision on the on the whole music thing because uh, after that's when that didn't go anywhere I was in the band for five years, and after that, and things were, you know, it got stale. It was time to move on. But, um, you know, I'm like, wow, you know, if that didn't work, when you're in the hands of those people and they're telling you all this, like I recall, uh, we had a private showcase, and you had uh, Benny Medina, J Jennifer Lopez's manager, JL's manager, um you had randy phillips red one and, and those guys showed up in their bentleys and, and fancy cars and um with their one of them had a driver and you know we're doing a private showcase for them and they're talking brainstorming this is what we could do for you guys and we're gonna come up with plans we gotta we gotta meet in the offices we're gonna do this and this and that and then you're like wow they're hyping you up so much you know, like it's looking so promising, and then in the end, nothing happens. You know, you're like, "Wow, that was weird." You it know? just seems like it's, just, a... it's like winning the lottery. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you know, it's like whoever gets to have a successful career in music and then make a living and and all that, and have their fan base and all. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's. I would compare that to pretty much winning the lottery. You it's know, like that with anything else. It's sports, comedy. Try, trying to get there, but yeah. yeah. Sports, comedy, podcasts, music, and you know, acting. It's all the same. You know, I mean, you just you have to be in the right place at the right time because there's so many talented musicians like like you, of course. Like I said, you're probably the most skilled guitar player I've ever played with or seen. You know, met in a personal life, and that's it's crazy that you know with all the skill you've had and all the people you've played with, it's still you know. Yes, you have some great songs and you have tons and tons of stuff, but you you know you don't have that. Hey, who's Krista Clerk? You know what I mean? That's I wish you were out there more. You know what I mean? You deserve more than what the what's actually there. You, you you know what I mean? It's it's interesting because um, I was just talking about that with a, fr a friend of mine. Well, my friend Dave from Puddle of Mud. I was at his studio earlier. We're working on some um, some music and uh we have a friend uh one of our mutual friends roy z guitar player producer songwriter also really talented guy a little older than me but the guy produced i mean everybody he produced judas priest um bruce dickinson from iron maiden sepultura i mean the guy Again, you know, he was in Rob Halford's band, the singer from Judas Priest. I mean, that guy played Madison Square Garden, Ozfest. I mean, you name it. You know, he has, you know, gold records and, and this and that. 
but yeah, and that guy yet is still so underground. Hardly anyone know who he is. You don't see the guy in guitar magazines. You're like, that's weird. Having done that much, you know, still not many people know who you are. Again, I have not done nearly as much as he <laughs> has. I've never produced Judas Priest, and I don't have gold records. But but at the same time, that that just proves that you know you can make tons of money doing. It. You don't have to be in the spotlight. You know what I mean? You can you can live off your skill. You can, but you know now it's harder for him too because some of those big gigs are not active at the moment. They're not present, and now even him, it's he gets the work, but it's not as glamorous as what as it once was. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I'm just personally, I'm just happy that I, I technically speaking, I definitely got to do more than most. Yes. Um, you know, I played big shows. I played with, you know, rock stars, recorded with rock stars like Lemmy, played with some of my idols. You know, I definitely got to accomplish way more than than the average musician. So I'm very fortunate. It's just very difficult to maintain that, you know, stable living, you know. I used to make a living fully and then it got slow and then, you know, it's it's hard to get gigs and then, you know, it's... it's well, when you rent $2,200 a month, that's still crazy. It's hard to make money. Well, yeah, I mean, that's exactly. And rent, is, everything's insanely expensive here in California. So, you know, you got to keep up with all of that. So, you know, and a lot of musicians are broke. They don't have money to pay you or to do this or that or you know yeah definitely sometimes it's hard to to get by you know can i hold you for one second sure hold on one second all right we're back i just i uh, yeah i almost i had to pee <laughs> <laughs> to put it in good words that that happens you know i mean i know you have a history of alcoholism after downing about 20 beers during the time of this you know, no, I'm just kidding. No, I have had three Basically. so far. <laughs> I, I'm three beers yeah. deep during our show, and I'm literally about to open another one. <laughs> oh, nice, nice, nice. Um, all right, since I forgot what we were talking about, um, to go back to hockey, um, you play goalie and stuff. You played, did you play when you were younger in Switzerland? Yeah, so, um, I did. Um, I played, you know, I had hockey lessons you know when i was a little kid or they you know growing up right and then um they had they didn't have as much i mean the opportunities were not the same there they didn't have really any leagues so i mean they had like tournaments and then you know like little things like that i would i would do um and then you know when i grew up to be you know i forgot how old but i i just quit you know i would do pickup games they had pickup games i would do that but then um then i just pretty much quit i was okay quit on competitive hockey yeah hockey and then i got started with the music i i think i picked up the guitar at 15 or i was 16 are you kidding me you picked it up at 16 and when i met you you were 19 and you were as good as you were yeah. I'm going to kick you <laughs> yes. in the nads next time I see you. That is yeah, bullshit. <laughs> because I played for two years and I moved when I was 18. I moved to LA when I was 18. I've been playing for two years. So, yeah, I was technically speaking. Uh, I was 
I was, yeah, uh, yeah, about 16 years old, yeah. Can I say one thing to you? Fuck you. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's crazy. You picked it up like, like without even thinking, because how good you were when you were 19 when I met you. That's just crazy. You were, you were, uh, you were above your age. That's for sure. You know, I, I think it came, it definitely came somewhat easy. I mean, of course you want to get good. You got to practice, um, you know, there's stuff. Hey, I would love to fucking play this, you know, Ingve Malmsteen guitar solo. Yeah, I can play that. I can play some, you know, sure. But I want to learn a new one. I got to sit my ass down, spend hours and hours and days and days and practice that shit. And it's insane amount of work. Um, but I, it definitely somewhat came easy a little bit because if it didn't, I think I would have quit. When I picked up the guitar, when I was a kid, I remember my dad was like, you should play guitar. you like, I have an acoustic. And I'm like, that's boring, man. <laughs> I want to be like Iron Maiden. You're boring me with your classical guitar. So, um, I was introduced to a guitar teacher and then the guy, same thing. You got to start playing a, a classical. I'm like, fuck that. Like, I'm not interested. So it's only like, yeah, when I was 16 that I came across that teacher in my hometown, um, a great guy. And, um, you know, he's like, fine, bring your electric. I'll teach you. And I remember after a couple lessons, I was like, man, like I might have been on my second lesson. I'm like, can you, on the first one, he had explained me how to, you know, okay, hold your hand a little better like this, hold your pick like that, you know, and showed me a couple of scales, basic chords, right? And then um, I think two or th a couple lessons after, I was like, can you give me tablatures of Iron Maiden? Like, I want to learn some of those riffs. And, um, you know, cause I was like, don't bore me with, you know, like children's songs here. Like, you know, I want to play some cool thing. I want to play some rock and roll. And, um, one time I had managed to figure out when I knew how to read tabs, I'd gone online and there's a, there's a, an Iron Maiden song called children of the damned. And there's a, a very cool tapping solo. It's not very difficult you know it's it's kind of basic basic tapping or whatever but um i had figured out how to do it and those that was back in the day we didn't have i didn't have online videos to show me how to do this or that i figured out literally on my own how to kind of do that tapping and stuff and he was very surprised when i showed him that the next time but luckily it did kind of come easy because if i had to struggle and stuff i would have gotten bored i would have given up you know mm -hmm. so it, it, it came easy for me luckily a little bit and then of course i put in the work obviously it's not like i woke up one day and like hey i can play you know this and that no i definitely sat down and and practiced and to tell you the truth um it's i'm not gonna say i have regrets but I thought about my 20s and how sometimes how I liked to, yeah, let me go out and hang out or let me try to go hang out with this chick or let me go to the bar with the friends and stuff. And looking back, I'm like, man, if I really had put more efforts on my practicing, like my, my level would be even way more advanced, I think. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm just telling you now, man. Like, I you know, I don't... Yeah, we've had the stroke off sessions with other people, but 
the Chris <laughs> DeClerc, man, when I saw you, you were obviously I was 17, so I was still a little kid. I, you were only two years older than me, but it was still to the point where your skill level was like you were just so good. You know what I mean? And it's crazy to hear now that you were only in it for a few years. Now, when you came over here from Switzerland, did you, funny story is I've been telling people, because I've talked about you a lot more over the years than you think. You know what I mean? I've t- talked about random damage and I've talked about this guy, Chris DeClerc. I've always said you were from Sweden. Every time. No. I just learned this year, <laughs> if not just a couple months ago, I might have creeped on you. Maybe, maybe less than a month ago, I creeped on you and found out, holy shit, he's from Switzerland. But um, yeah. e- either way, it's um, yeah, it's just the skill level you were at. I can only imagine what you are now, even with the as you say, you wish you'd practiced more. Well, thank you, bro. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's it's now, you know, I've, I have phases for like a few months, like oh man, I want to, you know, get like that dream theater super fast shredding solo, or I'll focus on that practice like a maniac. And then, you know, then I'll give up. I'm like, oh, I'm too busy for this. I don't have time for this. Or I don't have the energy anymore. I'm like, wow, fuck this. Um, but I think that over the years, what's really come together was it's, yeah, the, the, everything, like, you know, it's it's more, um, my rhythm is better. My my tone's better. My It's it's more tasty. You play in a more, when you grow as a musician, you know you 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 become more mature and you you know your songwriting skills develop you get better at that the the solos you play when you improvise it sounds way better because you 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 grow you know so it's not just like oh yeah i can play faster or more technical now i mean that quite frankly who cares about that stuff it's cool to have but you know nobody cares except, you know, your own personal satisfaction. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's definitely to become just more professional overall, you know, and some of those guys that my favorite guitar player of all time, it's not the, the greatest. I mean, you know, there's a lot of guys that I love, you know, uh, but my, my all-time favorite is Adrian Smith from Iron Maiden. Um, great songwriter, the guy great rhythm player great tone uh the guy has like super melodic solos like insane licks you know the best vibrato i've ever heard you know when he bends it's like so there's expression in in, in those things like that guy is just so tasty and he's great overall you know i mean i like guys that of course are way more technical like john petrucci of dream theater um I mean, that guy could play it like a machine, you know, a zillion notes a second. Everything's so perfect, so, you know, precise. It's it's insane how a human body can take things to that level. Uh, there's a handful of guys like that, um, you know, but my my uh, one of my favorites was always my uh, one of my teachers actually in Texas had gone to Texas to take lessons with him, Rusty Cooley. So I recommend you go and check that guy out. Go on YouTube and pull up anything from that guy. He plays. It's insane. It's technical. It's more technique than music. But it's, you know, makes you wonder, like, wow, how can a hand do such things on a guitar? It's insane. So, but yeah, I mean, you know, over the years, to come back to what I was saying, if I had practiced, I could have increased you know my skills even more but 
I've definitely my playing has definitely <clears throat> matured and and reached uh, you know a, a more professional level you know without a doubt you know with experience life experience I'm sure you have too obviously after all those years you know now you you know you're you're a musician <laughs> you know yeah I never put in the time like you guys did like I wish I did I I you know the last six months I think I've picked up my guitar three times it's just I don't I never put in the time I obviously I could be better I mean I have the talent in the family you know you've seen dad I just never put it I never put the effort in I'm a musician I consider myself a musician I've played in many bands and everything else but I never put myself to the point where my skill level could be that next level you know what I mean I'm you know I'm in a mediocre rhythm guitar player that's what I consider myself so you if know, you ever need a mediocre rhythm, rhythm guitar player in LA for any reason, you let me know because <laughs> I'll be there for you. Come anytime and let's figure it out, you know, and let's play, man. You know, it'd be fun. I'd love to see you and jam with you. After all that time, you know, that'd be uh, that'd be a lot of fun. You gotta whenever you're out here, let me know when you plan on coming and, and let's make it happen. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's a choice, and that's that's the thing in life. <clears throat> For example, um, my friend Dave from Portland Mudge, he's an insane drummer. The guy could play like Slipknot stuff, like super fast technical. The guy can sight read, like you will have a drum chart. Like he could sight read, play his kids. The guy's playing double bass drum with crazy things, and he's sight reading that shit. Like he is of another level. I mean, it's it's you know, but he put a lot of time into practicing, and it's also a gift. You know, some people are more gifted maybe than than others. But we were talking about um, a drummer, uh, for example, Virgil Donati, and um, I was friends with uh, you know one of his ex girlfriends and. Virgil Donati is a drum virtuoso. That guy, you know, is a monster. <clears throat> I mean, you know, it doesn't get more technical than that. Um, it's like Victor Wooten on bass or, you know, like those guys like that are just insane. But that guy practices, like she was telling me he wakes up in the morning, grabs quick breakfast, takes it onto his drum kit. He's eating over his drum kit, plays... He will take a bathroom break, cook some food, eat lunch over the drum kit, play all afternoon, and then same thing with dinner. He plays from the moment he wakes up to the moment he goes to bed. And personally, I don't think I would have had the the patience, you know, to want to, you know, play that much or eight hours a day. I've done it here and there, but... You know, I was almost too too lazy for that kind of a schedule. Yeah, I'm super um, lazy for that kind of schedule. <laughs> you know, then meanwhile, you've got a guy like in ACDC that's got his super basic beats that probably never practiced that long, and he's got a stadium of 50,000 people singing along and jumping up and down in front of him. No. I, you don't need the greatest skills to be a successful musician. You've got a lot of very successful musicians that are really not that good on the instruments. Mm -hmm. So compared success, to some really of the talent skills. that's out there, 
Was that? I'm sorry. It's compared to some of the talent, like like you said, those drummers. Granted, you know the the few ACDC drummers that have gone through. You know they're probably really really good, amazing drummers. But their beats that they're using for those are just I could do those. You know what I mean? And I'm not even that great of a drummer. You know what I mean? They're just they're a lot of basics. But then they have the the Angus Youngs and stuff, and the Brian Johnsons that are just that's the face. That's what people are looking at. You know what I mean? And that that you're able to cover up what basic sound it is that the drummers are doing there that's true but then again think about it this way though it the the drums is the foundations like i agree with what you say it's an extremely basic you know those are very basic beats i actually had played with an acdc drummer simon wright um simon wright actually was kind enough to uh sign a uh, when I renewed my visa, I needed like, you know, letters and stuff. And he wrote a, a letter for me saying, yeah, Chris is great and stuff. He, he helped me out, you know, get my uh, get my papers and stuff. That was really cool of him. But yeah, I played with Simon Wright. He was in ACDC for a few years. Um, but I remember thinking on stage, man, that guy has magic to that beat. Like it's solid. You know what I mean? Like we could be playing the same same beat but that dude is just solid you know like rock solid and it's you know when he's hitting that snare it's like gunshot you know what i mean like some of those guys out there you know other drummers around you know the clubs you'll find i mean you know they don't have that they don't have that that um what's the word i'm looking for that that vibe that uh that feel you know what i mean like, he's mastered his craft yeah, he's mastered his craft for what he did, for sure. Um, you know, he's not doing flashy stuff, but what he does, he does it well. Um, and I'm not know, saying they can't do those flashy those things, but they, you know, they probably can. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's exactly, it's, you know, it's, but then again, some people can do a lot you know, with very little, I never studied music theory. I, I never really cared. I'm lucky that I have the ears. I know the basics, you know, I have the ears so that obviously having the ears is everything. Cause that tells you if you're, if it's right or wrong, <laughs> you will know, but, uh, you know, like my soloing and stuff. I mean, I know a couple of scales, but I'm, it's still very basic. It's more of the concept where you do a lot with very little, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, um, that's all ACDC that's, that's, is. You know what I mean? They're 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 a lot of them are just. It's not the most complicated music, but what they do with it is just amazing. And it's yeah. funny that we're talking about ACDC because I just um, a couple days ago I pulled out my ACDC Back in Black album, uh, and I haven't listened to the whole album all the way through as one piece in a long time. And I did in my car on the way to work, and I'm like, that fucking album is just so good. The whole yeah. thing, every song on it, every beat, everything is just crazy good. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> they uh, they've got quite the the material. That's that's for sure. Do, how how often do you practice on a regular basis? Not much, man. I mean, not not as much as I should. Like I pick up a guitar once a week and I'll kind of just mess around with it. And just last year, I bought myself a really nice Taylor guitar acoustic it is just gold and way out of my price range but i managed to do it and uh i i haven't picked it up as much as i wish i did 
yeah yeah i mean you know when you have when you have the time yeah. pick it up and play a little i haven't played myself in a in a few months actually because i broke a finger <laughs> oh shit really yeah yeah <laughs> I, I broke uh i broke my uh my middle finger uh, it's kind of just the tip but it's an inconvenience. That's um, the most important part of your finger. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you know, it's really freaky though. It's like, uh, so at first my, uh, I mean, of course it's painful. The finger doesn't move, you know, obviously I'm not going to touch the guitar. Then after a little while, uh, I put a bandaid and I could literally play guitar with a bandaid. I wouldn't feel anything. It's almost like Tony Iommi with a chopped off finger when he's got the, that piece of I don't know what it was that that you know what whatever that was that little piece of cork you know Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath. No, I don't remember the situation. What was it? What happened? Oh, oh yeah, well, well, he came up with the whole genre. I mean, that whole Black Sabbath were the pioneers of that metal thing and and tuning down, you know, like drop drop tuning and stuff. Like drop and D. And the whole reason was. The guitar player Tony Iommi had chopped off the tip of his finger at his work. Um, I hope I don't mess up the story, but yeah, he was working with wood or something and chopped off with the, the tip of his finger with one of his machine. All of a sudden, he's got a finger that's shorter than the other, the others. So they had like a prosthetic fingertip or something like that added on. So he has no sensation. So he needed to change the gauge of his strings because he couldn't put as much pressure on them. Therefore, they tuned down. And that kind of contributed to that whole beginning of heavy metal. That is crazy. That's a crazy story. Yeah, you, you should read on that. Go Black Sabbath, the guitar player, who's left-handed also. Yeah. Tony Iommi, read the, the fingertip. His fingertip, it's, it's been chopped off and then... You know, so he has no, obviously no feeling there because there's no finger. And then he's, that's what caused them to tune down and to play some of the riffs the way he did. And, and that was one of the reasons that heavy metal was kind of shaping up was because of his finger that was chopped off. Yeah. I just pulled it up. It says accident at the age of 17. Uh, what's his name? Lomi? Tony Iommi. Tony Iommi. It says Iommi lost the tips of the middle finger and middle. What is it? Lost the tips of the middle and ring finger of his right hand in an industrial accident on his last day of work in a sheet metal factory. Uh, uh, Iommi described how he was told he would never play again. <laughs> That's crazy. He was well, only seventeen. See if you, if only you Ronnie had chopped off the tip of your fingers back when you were seventeen. If only maybe something would have come out of this. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, definitely maybe. I didn't even have a job at seventeen. He's over here working in a sheet metal freaking factory. That's crazy. Um, yeah, damn, we've jumped around a lot. So yes, if you do need a, uh, um, a. a uh, basic rhythm guitar player let me know i'll be down i'll definitely come down if we ever have the chance to play random damage in los angeles again or anywhere really um that would be gold at least with you know with you i would love to be able to tell dad hey i'll hold rhythm guitar we'll have 
such and such our bass player come out and uh he's a such a talented bass player um his name's sean wow i can't even think of his fucking last name right now but his name's sean and he is such well let me see if i can find him one of the be- best like you like you are one of the most skilled guitar players I've ever played with or no sean is the epitome of amazing bass player sean gordon shout out to him He's a left he's a left-handed bass player. And dude, this guy had a mullet since he was born and he still has it to this day. It is just Wow. He has this the it is so great in what he does and he takes it down for when we play shows and he just goes nuts. Um <laughs> But yeah, if we could get him out there, I'll play guitar, you play guitar, get Brett on drums and just let dad go on his vocals. That would be so much fun. That would be one of my last That'd be my I, big I, hurrah. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's like as soon as this, you know, garbage reopens, um, you know, that should definitely, we should, you know, I'm sure it's not that hard to book a couple of places if they still exist by then. Exactly. There's a um, lot of comedy clubs. Like, like I said, I've, I've, been, I've loved listening to stand up comedy. And then last December, I did it for the first time myself. And um, there's a lot of big clubs that I was planning on when we were to come down there in L.A., I was going to force myself into some of the open mics and see if I could get two minutes in. You know what I mean? I've only done it a couple times, but I'm like, whether I suck or not, do you know how awesome it would be if I said I went to the comedy, uh, the comedy, was it? The the Laugh Factory is one of the ones I was trying to get to. And then the store, the comedy. Do you know, do you know that I live a block away from the Laugh Factory? Exactly one block. Oh, you suck. Man, that's yeah, where I was going to go. Next door to the Laugh Factory. Yeah, Tuesday night, I was supposed to fly in at like 4 o'clock to LAX. And um, uh, the doors, the line starts at like 5 or 5.30 at the Laugh Factory for open mic. And I was going to rush there as fast as I could. But um, yeah, obviously, that's not working out. I think the comedy store is shutting down. Or it did shut down completely. And that store has been there forever, that place. They're shutting down. I mean, I walk in front of that place three, four, or five times a week because I, I take my night walks on the Sunset Strip. The Laugh Factory is the beginning of the Sunset Strip, so I usually walk the entire Sunset Strip. I'm a you know, night owl. I like walking at night. So I'll go walk there and always pass the comedy store. I, I know that they had reopened kind of in the summer where they were serving like kind of a little bit of food and cocktails on the smoking patio mm-hmm. and then they had i thought that was a little fucking insane i'm like what world are we living in they would do comedy like they had blocked off the entrance they had set up a table um you know where the door is so somebody was standing on the table with the door shut and from behind the glass you had somebody with a microphone inside the building through the glass doing his comedy show for the people outside and i was like oh man like what what era are we living in this is insane yeah but yeah of course they've been down but are are they gone for good like that's confirmed i i one of my favorite uh, podcasts and i hate saying his name i hate saying his name because people make fun of me saying i'm trying to be him but joe rogan's podcast he's a stand-up comedian and he goes oh, to the I love store. Joe Rogan. Yeah, he actually moved to Texas. <laughs> he got out of Los yes. Angeles, like you said. Uh, and um, he's said multiple times that the store is closed down. So I don't know what the deal is with that. You know what I mean? I wonder if it's temporarily or if they just shut it down altogether. Yeah, yeah I, I last I saw, I mean, they had put like the, like a plastic cover up 
in front of those glass doors and it it looks i mean obviously it's closed but i don't know if it was temporary or not wow what a trip yeah man and yeah that's something i want to do more there's so much like i've i've learned to tell myself i'm an entertainer you know what i mean i'm not just a musician i whether i was good at it or not i did a couple stand ups you know i do a podcast now yet again whether people listen or not i'm having a really really good time with it um but like that's another thing is one of my dreams to play one of my bucket lists is to play music in Los Angeles one more time and I would have loved to be able to do stand up at the comedy store or the laugh factory somewhere out there you know what I mean so I can take a picture of myself like hey I did this um and yeah. yeah that's one of my goals and <laughs> get a few get a few famous people on the podcast like I've had a few now where um that have been really important to me cuz I've had my friends on a whole bunch on the show and um, but then there's certain people I've had a, I had a fighter on last week or two weeks ago Dustin Vinot uh, he's a MMA fighter and um, I had him on I talked to him so they're like real interviews like you right now yes we've known each other for for what it is a long time but this is like one of the more important ones to me because you have a story that's really really cool to tell and a lot of people are interested in uh, hearing you know stuff like this you know to me i feel like this is more of like now this is what I, this is what i was building for is to have stories like you to have onto my show and this is a big uh, i thank you very very much for coming on thanks for having me yeah, yeah i mean it's awesome it's uh i love the fact that you've got the the podcast and uh you know i mean if you're you know now it's uh, podcasts are popular i listen to podcasts a few of them myself including joe rogan um, I listen to a lot of wrestling podcasts because I love wrestling. Some people make fun of me for that, but hey, I mean, whatever, fuck off, as we say, right? Hey, just um, let you know, yeah, I so actually, I, I've, I've always been a, you know, there was points in times where it dipped down, but I've always been a deep in heart, a huge wrestling fan. So we're all on the same page here. <laughs> yeah, uh, check out the the Jim Cornette's podcast it's it's pretty funny he's a pretty funny guy to listen to and uh he doesn't hold back on anything uh he's got some some cool moments in there pretty funny guy that's awesome but yeah it's it's podcasts are so popular these days that you know if you're good at it and with right promotion eventually you know it picks up and the next thing you know some people just do that professionally they don't do anything else well my my (laughs) goal my goal was with this is i'm having a really really good time with it and yes my numbers have dumped but at the same time, you know, there people are listening when I first started. You know what I mean? And this is one thing about having you on here is this is really, really important to me. And I feel like we've had a great conversation. And this is a lot, a lot of fun. But it's at a time right now where um, I don't know, you know, your your episode's going to get buried. You know what I mean? Over time because it's just I'm not having that many listeners. So I'm like, I'm definitely going to have to have you on again. And we'll, you know, talk more about stuff. But um, my goal with the podcast is eventually it could take a year, two, three, four years. I don't care. But if I can get it to somehow start making me money and enough money where as much as I work at my job in one day, if I can get the podcast to make that amount of money, whether it could be $120 a a week, who cares? Then I can tell my boss, hey, I'm going to go down to four days. You know what I mean? And then it yeah. could take another two, three years, whatever. And then I can make enough for two days worth of money. And then I can tell my boss, hey, I'm going to go down to three days. And then someday, it could be 10, 15 years down the line, I want to be able to say I'm doing something like this full time. 
And then you've got Joe Rogan who just made a hundred hundred million dollars for switching to Spotify. I know. <laughs> Fuck him. He makes more money. That one deal is just insane. That's nuts. It's insane, yeah. And it's I listen crazy. to him on Apple too, which sucks. <laughs> so I'm gonna have to go to Spotify now. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you know it's it's uh, when you're passionate about something, you'll you'll pretty much do anything. You know, and then you just you, you you go above and beyond, and you do whatever it takes. Really, what's necessary? Um, you know, you just go bang on the doors you want to bang on, and then uh, you know, eventually, you know, with the yeah, with 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 the love you have for this, you know, if you have you know, when when people are skilled, they have talent, and they love what they do. Eventually, you know, things shape up, and I'm sure it'll be the same. You know, for your your podcast, you're just gonna put in the time, figure out the ways to promote, and the more people you have hearing you, then you've got sponsors, and they're the ones paying you, and all that stuff. That's my goal. Yeah. Eventually, I didn't so, think I was gonna get the listeners I have now. You know what I mean? I feel like thirty listeners—that's thirty people's quite a bit for a guy from Naples, Maine, who doesn't do it. You know what I mean? Who doesn't promote it? At first, well, I had yeah, I had a hundred exactly, downloads. You know, my very awesome. first. My very first episode, it was shit. <laughs> if you go back to listen to it, it is terrible. I had over a hundred downloads, and like that was crazy. You know, it's it's pretty good. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know, hey, you got to start somewhere. You know, it's. Uh, I mean, that's that's really the thing. I mean, you know, it's like look at me. I I grew up. Um, you know. I mean, that's a true story. You know, it's like I grew up, I had this poster next to my bed, Iron Maiden, the 90s, you know, and then I'm like dreaming one day, maybe I'll meet those guys and stuff. And that very same singer that was on the poster, the first time, you know, I met him, he picked me up at the airport. <laughs> Definitely. And then he sang on my song, you know, when I went to England, Blaze Bailey. So, you know, it's like you, you there's... There are certain things that are, you know, yeah, I mean, that's my message to to everybody, to all the whole 30 people, 100 people, 1,500 people out there that will listen to this, whatever it is, you know, what you want to do, just go for it, man. You only live once, you know, and if you don't succeed, you try anyway. And I don't know, even care if I'm dreams, the only listener. Just list- make it happen, man. Yeah, I don't even care if I'm the only listen- listener. I'm having fun doing it. And I... I- the feedback I do get, of course, I have people who say, you know, well, this episode wasn't my favorite, but, you know, I like this about it. But most of the things I get are positive, and that's what's been great about it. It's what's motivated me to keep going. Yeah, I was going to say you sound very relaxed, very comfortable, and you can, you're holding on the thing, you know, and it's, uh, you know, it's probably I, my guess. I mean, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but my guess, depending who you're talking to, you know, like sometimes there's some kind of chemistry, like we talk about stuff, like that opens a subject, we talk about this, and then we laugh, and, and you know, and there's other people, you probably, like, I mean, it may be awkward, because, like, they, you know, maybe they're just awkward people, or the, the chemistry isn't really there, and then, therefore, it may be harder to guide the whole podcast, could that be? It can definitely be. I've had uh, one guy, the conversation went, well, I feel like with me is I'm a very, I'm a talkative person and I feel like anyone can talk to me. You know what I mean? There is no shell with me. I'll, I'll say anything and everything. And so um, when I get people on, I try to, 
um, I had this one guy, Stu Flaherty. He's um, obviously this is no news to you, but he's a Dartmouth soccer coach. It's a Dartmouth D1 like Ivy League college, and he's the soccer coach there. And um, I drove all the way from my house. It was like three hours to almost Vermont. Yet again, I don't know if that means anything to you, but um, to have the interview with him. And I had a great time, but it was a subject that I know nothing about. You know what I mean? We talked about ho- or we talked about soccer. I know nothing about soccer. So that was probably the most difficult one I've had, but that was my first serious interview. You know what I mean? And I learned a lot from that. Um, and luckily I've had a lot of mostly friends on and you know what I mean? It's more just to get used to talking on a microphone, getting used to knowing how to do equipment, learning how to ask questions at certain times, learning all of that. And I, I appreciate my friends for coming on and helping me with that. But I feel like my next step now is people like you, people like I have another, <laughs> I have another, uh, uh, oh, that's the person. All right. I have another person possibly coming on that we're hoping you might know from different situations with, um, bands uh my brother is a professional mma fighter and his one of his coaches is named darren elder and i guess he's a music producer and a drummer and he worked with like lamb of god i, I guess he worked with um a perfect circle i think um, yeah no. that that name sounds familiar darren yeah, elder i don't know the guy personally but i've definitely heard the name yeah he's he's my brother's uh boxing coach and I guess he was like a, from what I'm hearing, a D1 basketball player. And he was like an undefeated professional boxer. But like, that's wow. the kind of guy I'm going to have on my show at some point. And I've asked him to come on. And he went to my brother and said like, he wouldn't, um, he doesn't normally come on to these kind of things because he has people asking him all the time. But because of the relationship he has with my brother, he said he's willing to come on. And I'm like, fucking right. You know what I mean? And like that is a that's that's a cool conversation to have because we have a lot in you know, common, you know, with between my brother doing MMA and then music and everything else. I'm like, that's a conversation I feel like I can hold, just like I'm having one with you. We held it great. Yeah, you know what's really cool too? It's like um, the more guests you have, like the more, let's say, I mean, you know, obviously it's awesome when you have your friends, local friends, buddies, you know, whatever, because you guys, you know, have certain stories that other people might be very interested in hearing but um when you manage like joe rogan has those fucking guests from elon musk to james hetfield all those guys that's what really brings the listeners look at me for example when i you know i get to do the song with lemmy then i approach paul diano and i said hey you know this is what i'm doing if if i had the right song would you possibly be interested yeah by the way people like lenny have contributed then all of a sudden they're taking me very seriously you mm-hmm. know what i mean and it's the same thing i would think on a podcast once you have certain big guests or whatever then everybody wants to be on your podcast oh definitely <laughs> that's what i'm that's what i'm hoping i have a few other names you know i have a uh a, a a beer company, the president of this big beer company around here. Hold on. Um, he wants to come on now. You know what I mean? I talked to him before I even started the show. I was mentioning that I had the idea and he's like, yeah, he goes, get kind of, you know, together and, you know, figure out your stuff and then let me know. And then I just talked to him today and he's like, dude, when are we doing it? You know what I mean? And that's, that's awesome. And I need to, I need to get to that next step of promotion, whether it's, um, 
you know, paying for ads or something like they do on Facebook is very, very cheap. You can get it so it sponsors on different situations or to the point where I'm telling people, I'm like, dude, I'm going to buy a thousand stickers and give them out to people. And just you put fucking cheesy chicken podcast on everything. I don't care what you are. And, you know, going through a drive through of a McDonald's, you stick them to that wall right there that everyone else puts their stickers to. Like, I don't care. You know what I mean? Just put it on something and, you know, you'll get, I'll get something every, you know, you 200 people look at that sticker. I bet you one of them will look me up. You know what I mean? That's they know who Probably. I am. You know what I mean? That's what I'm hoping. You know, one, two, two, three hundred people. You get one to look at you. Boom. I feel like that's more of a success than anything. For me, anyway. Yeah, you need, you need, you know, you need the shout outs. You know, I mean, if you had, you know, somebody big on your podcast, like really big, you know, that can tell his million you know instagram followers or twitter followers whatever it is nowadays you know hey i'm gonna be on this podcast you know that a million people are gonna check it out exactly that'd be gold that's that's what it is i was thinking about doing that finding a list list of celebrities in different situations i like whether they're comedians or actors or whatever you know what i mean just trying let's just say i have a thousand of them that i go and send them a message on instagram and say, hey, I have a podcast. Will you come on? Like a little paragraph trying to sell myself. They will probably all deny me. But imagine if I got one of them. You know what I mean? That's, I feel like that that would be huge to get one of them. Yeah, make sure if you give them a sample, it's like a really, you know, cool thing when you sound, you know, like not in the early days, but when, you know, by the time you get... When I get Krista Clark on? You're more... Like it really sounds, you're really comfortable, professional. It sounds professional. Show them something very professional, you know, that they could, you know, because, yeah, I mean, again, if it's the first time you've ever done it, you don't know how to do it. It's 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 very green, you know, amateur kind of ish. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Totally they, they're going to be like, oh, no, thanks. But I mean, if it's something really professional and cool, and then they're probably going to be like, hey, I got the time. Sure, I'll do it. Yeah. You know, that's what I mean. I might as well get I'm one sure person. You can get some people. On yeah, there. definitely. I'll have that one person that's feeling generous and be like, yeah, I'll give this guy an hour of my time. What's an hour? Then he'll be like, it was five hundred dollars <laughs> to come onto your show for an hour. But that's but that's what it is. I mean, you know, that's that's the key to success. Somebody giving you a big break. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, somebody. I mean, you know, it's like even look at me. Like for example, Lemmy. We talked about that. Oh, there's a couple of things more I want to add before. I don't know when you have to wrap up. I don't know. Dude, I have all night. Going. I have all night. I already have one other thing to ask you, so you can keep going. <laughs> but with Lemmy, for example, Lemmy definitely wanted to help me. Okay, that's that's a fact. And I'm going to tell you a little story. I told a bunch of people here and there. Not everybody knows, but just to show you how much he wanted to help me. Okay, I'd mentioned early on there was this friend of mine, Roxanne, um, that was helping me with like the paperwork stuff, making the whole thing happen. She was helping me out a little bit. And then she had gone up to uh, Lemmy and said, um, you know, she had gone up to Motorhead's manager, not Lemmy, but she'd gone up to Motorhead's manager saying, yeah, can we get Chris to do a promo pick with Lem for the, you know, like the artwork for promo, like, you know, to do a picture and stuff. And, and the guy denied her. He's like, you know, the reality is Lemmy isn't even taking pictures for Motorhead anymore. He doesn't do it for Motorhead. So she she kept asking. She brought it up to Lemmy's girlfriend, um, 
share like, hey, you know, Chris, you know, you, I mean, they should take a promo pic or, you know, something, right? So, um, you know, anyway, so that's that. So I carry on with the next part of the story. So a little time passes, and then that was the day when Lemmy passed away. Um, actually, no, hold on. Now I'm, I'm getting my story mixed up. Okay. Let me start again. So Roxanne had asked, you know, Lemmy's girlfriend. Okay, so far you guys follow me. Okay. Yep. Chris, you know, Lemmy should take a promo pic together. Okay, boom. So I received a phone call. I was in the studio um, recording, and I received a phone call around midnight, um, which I didn't pick up because I was busy recording, and it was Lemmy's girlfriend, Cheryl. And I, I didn't take the call, you know, and I wasn't going to call back at 3 a.m. by the time I left. So I'm like, okay, whatever. I'll, I'll call back tomorrow the day after. The next day, Lemmy passed away. Oh, you know? shit. So that everybody was, you know, in, in shocked. You know, I, I couldn't believe it, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know, tragic day for rock and roll. And I forgot to call back. I'm like, oh, I'll just give her some, some, you know, some time and stuff. And I didn't call back. So where I'm going with this is that I found out months later um, from one of Lemmy's close friends, and she was also a friend with obviously Lemmy's girlfriend. Um, this girl Janita, who was um, actually taking care, also helping taking care of Lemmy. Um, you know, in, in the last days, and uh, she was literally there when Lemmy passed away. And she had told me, she goes, Chris, I don't know if you know, but um, the phone call that you got that night from Lemmy's girlfriends, uh, the night before he passed away, she was calling you to schedule a photo shoot. Lemmy was ready to put on his outfit and put on his boots and his coat and his hat, and he was ready to meet you to take pictures with you to help you out. So Lemmy literally wanted to help me out until the day he died. Isn't that crazy? That is like that just That just shows you how cool, how how awesome and, and generous he was because... Such a humble dude. You know, he didn't even do that for Motorhead. The fact that he wanted to do that for me, like, I mean, man, that... that like he was, he was really a heart of gold. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, he recognized talent when it was there, and he knew it deserved it. Of course, I, and you know, and that, and that too. I mean, you know, it's like you, you cannot buy Lemmy. Lemmy does what Lemmy wants to do. Always has, always. You know, he Lemmy's. So if he did that song with me, he really wanted to do it. And like the producer Cameron Webb had said, he did it because. You know, he thought it was going to be something cool, you know, and of course, you know, it was going to help you out. So he was, you know, he was excited about doing it, you know, otherwise, if he thought, oh, this sucks or whatever, he would have never done it. He would have said, yeah, keep dreaming, you know. So, so no, that's, Lemmy was, was really, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, oh, man. <laughs> anyway. That's crazy, uh, man. That is so yeah, cool. That's, that's crazy that that story like i found out months later i was like oh wow he was ready to schedule a photo shoot like the day he fucking passed away like that was really really awesome some bitch had to die didn't he (laughs) god damn it could you hold on for a few more days (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah what he died from again what was it just um i think he had cancer um yeah that's 
that's the, I think that was the, the cause. Um, I mean, I'm not even exactly sure. Um, I knew, I, I forgot. I, I kind of wanted to block these thoughts out of my mind. Yeah, um, I mean, if you know, anyone goes on Wikipedia, they'll tell you exactly what, what the cause of death was. I think he had cancer. Yeah. So um, yeah. Dude, that guy but, um, the 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 conversations, <laughs> the stories that dude probably could give out, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely he he definitely had stories. I crashed on his couch one time. That was an experience too. <laughs> Did he have a nice house? Was that? Does he have a big nice house? No, uh actually no. See, Lemmy was not about that. I mean, of course, Motorhead was very successful and Plus, he'd written many hits as well for other people, like Ozzy Osbourne, that song Mom, I'm Coming Home. Lemmy was the, you know, writer on that. Um, so, you know, I mean, I'm obviously, you know, Rockstar, I'm sure he was, you know, doing quite well financially. But, um, you know, Lemmy was just about making music. He didn't care. He didn't need that mansion. You know, he had a couple of apartments minutes away walking distance from the rainbow you know so he could just go home go to the rainbow watch just a couple of minutes you know and yeah you know all he cared about was make the music yeah, you know that, what i that's mean awesome. like get play some bass write some songs have a drink and, and play some music and you know he didn't he never bothered you know buying a big house i mean of course you know he had some a big collection of all kinds of cool stuff and you know he lived well obviously but the money had to go somewhere <laughs> what's that the money had to go somewhere he probably had some nice cars or something well you said yeah. he, he he was at the rainbow like every night so he probably didn't even need a nice car yeah he didn't need the car for that i i i don't even know i don't think lemmy had a driver's license no, no shit. I don't even think Lemmy had a driver's license because he did a music video with the Foo Fighters and he's driving a, a limo. Uh, the song actually is called Limo. It was, what, 2011? And in the music video, Lemmy's the limo driver and I think they had to get a stunts double because Lemmy doesn't... Lemmy didn't drive. I don't think he did. That is crazy. That is so yeah. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. So you know, Lemmy was in a world of rock and roll. You know, it's he was a guy like when uh, Janita had told me like yeah, Lemmy's like yeah you okay yeah go buy a gallon of milk. How much is it? A, a dollar? Yeah. So here here take twenty bucks. Keep the change. He, you know he didn't. He's a very generous he man. Very generous. You know of course, but. You know, he didn't know everything. He was just in his own world of music and reading books and all that stuff. And yeah, fascinating to me. That is crazy. <clears throat> so, um, yeah. Do you have any other? Uh, do you have any other rock star music stories? Any people you met that? Um, that you know that's. I don't know how to say it. I don't know. Maybe a little not normal than the average person would meet. Any other crazy band stories, stage stories, anything? Uh, let's see. I mean, let's see. Um, I was lucky to, to meet, you know, all kinds of people over the years from Alice Cooper to John Paul Jones of Led Zeppelin, you know, I mean, literally probably hundreds. I mean, I, people would make fun of me because I don't really do that as much, but I, it kind of 
happens accidentally also like you know i i had a collection of pictures with all kinds of people that is so funny because we used to say that you used to post stuff where it's like every day you were meeting a different celebrity and you're always in the picture with them back then yeah i would post that stuff on myspace or you know back whatever we did back in those days right Mm mm-hmm so, you know, and, and then it's like, oh, I'm at, I'm at a concert, I'm backstage. Oh, here's, well, here's Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath. Hey, let's take a picture, you know? So it's like I had this collection of pictures from, yeah, those guys from Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, Metallica, all of them, where I, I you know, I have this, you know, I, t- I took pictures with all of them. Um, let's see, stories, stories, stories. Um, well, um stories i'm trying to think i mean i know you know it's what's funny it's like the second we're gonna be done with this podcast a hundred stories are gonna come in my head but hey that's why that's why you're gonna be uh that's why you're gonna be on again someday another episode 2.0 where i get uh um well one thing okay i got a story here all right i got a story this is not about famous people this is about like I wish that moment was on camera kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Shoot. Uh, so I was playing in a cover band. We would play twice a week. Um, it was uh, Harry, Mark Harrison, a singer. Um, and um, he actually knew a lot of people. He would bring all kinds of people. There was the guy he kept bringing on stage. I couldn't stand him. thought he was quite arrogant. And, um, one time he looked at me and he kind of on stage, like the guy would show up, uh, he was dropped off in a cab and he would join us on stage for a few songs. One time he looked at me, he's like, back off. Like he was like very, very rude. Um, and then, um, I, I remember telling the, the bass player, man, I'm a, I'm a kick that guy off stage next time he talks to me like that. Anyway, they were like, dude, chill out. He's from Saturday Night Live. I'm like, I don't know. I'm from Switzerland. I've never seen Saturday Night Live. Turns out it's Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> so I've been on stage with J- Jimmy Fallon many, many times without knowing what he was, who he was. I thought it was just another trippy guy. But yeah, um, so yeah, that was you know, something, but that same band, the singer came up to me and he said, Chris, we have a guitar player that's going to be joining us for a little while. So yeah. So, you know, he'll be there next time. Cool. So we were playing covers and then I met the guy. So he shows up. I see that guy come. He's dressed like Slash. He's got a hat on like Slash. And then he comes up to me and he goes, hi, my name is G Sharp. And he goes, uh, I played just like Slash. Uh, And I'm like, okay, cool. And then he goes, check me out. People like it when I play. And I was like, oh, okay. That's that's something. Yeah, okay, interesting. So uh, I played with him a handful of times. And that one time, so he had his Slash signature guitar. He may even have very well had the Slash signature amp. I think he did. He would bring his own Marshall. Might have been a Slash signature. Anyway. Remind me of equipment because that's another question I wanted to ask you. Sure. So we're playing some Guns N' Roses stuff. And we're playing at a place called The Joint. Um, And the stage is really high. It's a really, really high stage. Um, So we're playing at The Joint. um, And... um, 
you know, he told me, look, we're playing Guns N' Roses stuff. I'm playing the solos. I'm Slash, like you play. I'm like, sure, bro, don't even worry about it. You play solos. So that night, we had nobody in the audience. Zero. There was a bouncer, a bartender, and a sound man. That's it. There was no one there, okay? No one. So we're on stage playing, and we're playing, I don't know, Sweet Child of Mine or some some song like that. Or uh, it had to be like either, yeah, um, um, one of those songs with a solo. I think it had to be Sweet Child of Mine. I know we played It's So Easy also, but I don't think that one uh, had much of a solo. I don't remember. Anyway, um, so he's soloing, like he's back, like... He's, his head is looking up to the sky and he's kind of tilted back and the guitar is on top of him and he's soloing just like Slash in a stadium in front of 50,000 people and he's soloing and soloing. Next thing you know, he falls off the stage. Oh, shit. And that stage is pretty high. <laughs> so his guitar goes, bow, completely goes out of tune, right? And... I'm like, I'm looking down. I'm like, is he okay? Like, and, and the, the, we're looking at each other from the stage and the singer gives us a sign. He's like, nah, keep playing. Don't stop. Keep playing. <laughs> Meanwhile, this guy is trying to keep soloing. He's grabbing his butt because he fell on his ass and he's obviously <laughs> in pain and he's trying to solo, but the, you know, the guitar was out of tune so he unplugged his guitar threw his cable onto the ground he was pissed and then he walked away and that was the end of the night so yeah this guy fell off stage but i mean you have to see that like that guy that thought he was slashed just like you know and then just falling off stage like that oh it's funny i'm glad he didn't get hurt but no nah, yeah, not me i was hoping he got hurt now this guy sounds like a dick <laughs> You can yeah, you can be a humble thing, and he's like, "Yeah, I wish he didn't get hurt. I hope he's okay." And I'm like, "Nope, he's an asshole. I hope he broke his tailbone." He, yeah, he was a little arrogant. I, I will confirm. Yeah, that. you can be honest with me. It's this isn't a famous <laughs> podcast yet. <laughs> You're fine. Yeah, he he was a little bit arrogant to say the least. Um, you you said uh, oh, I, speaking of Guns and Roses, I'll tell you another quick story. Shoot, I was at uh, Lemmy's birthday one time. And uh, it was at the Rainbow. <clears throat> so there's a few people there. Um, Carmen Electra was there. A handful of, you know, rock and rollers. And then um, Matt Sorum was there. Matt Sorum is the, the drummer of um, um, Velvet Revolver. He was in Guns N' Roses too. And now I think he plays with the Vampires, Hollywood Vampires. You know that band with Johnny Depp and Alice Cooper? Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp played in a band? Yeah, Johnny Depp has a band called Hollywood Vampires. I didn't even know he played. Is he a, what does he play, yeah, guitar? He, he plays He plays guitar, and it's a cool band, actually. It's old school rock. I, I, I like it. It's great. You have to send me a message of their name so I can look them up later. And Alice Cooper is the singer in that band. Um, but yeah, so Matt Sorum is the drummer for that band now. And um, so anyway, Matt Sorum was at Lemmy's birthday, and um, I know Matt, you know, over the years. And he goes, uh, Chris, what are you doing here? And I said, uh, well, I'm, I'm here for uh, Lemmy's birthday, you know. Uh, he's like, oh, me too. 
And I was like, you know, Lemmy? I'm like, uh, well, yeah, I actually, I just, just did a song with him. And then his face kind of changed. And I'm like, yeah, I co-wrote a song with Lemmy. You'll hear it soon. It'll come out soon. And he's, and then he goes, thank you. He goes, thank you. You know what? I wrote a song with Slash. And I'm going to have Lemmy sing on it. I'm going to go talk to him right now. <laughs> uh, and I thought, okay, well, sure, yeah. Good luck. Yeah, awesome. So, you know, <laughs> you definitely meet interesting personalities. I thought that guy, that, I thought that was kind of a dick move too. Oh, yeah, you, you know, could totally to tell that. he was just, he was kind of jealous of you for a second. Right when he heard that, he was like, fuck this guy. I'm going to try to one-up him. Yeah, and I'm like, dude, you're the fucking guy from fucking GNR and Hollywood Vampires. Like, I'm just like, come on. But yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, that's a you know really big deal to have let me sing your song or, you know, co-write with you, rather, should I say. So, yeah, when that guy, uh, you know, when that guy heard that, he wasn't, you know, like he was that irritated and it's kind of strange. Yeah, he guy's a jerk. So... But equipment-wise, um, I know back then, I don't remember what you used for a guitar, but I know you used to run a B-52 amp. Do you still run the same stuff? What do you run for a guitar? Uh, well, guitars, well, here's the thing. I have a guitar endorsement with VGA, uh, French guitars, really nice guitars, actually. Um, Tell them you went righty for a second and send me one. What's that? Tell them you went righty for a couple months and send me a guitar. uh well if i got a guitar it would have you're not left-handed so they would know it's not for me (laughs) that's what i mean say you're just trying it out for a little while those those guitars are worth like four thousand dollars i got one but after that they're like dude if you want more you're paying cost i could get something at cost oh shit but uh, all right never mind it's not like they're you know tossing me 50 free guitars you know well, when you finally do, <laughs> when that song makes it, yeah, when that song makes it, and you're uh, you're bringing in the Benjamins, make sure you throw me one of those guitars. <laughs> it's my podcast. That's what's gonna set you off. Is my podcast? They're gonna be like, "Who's Chris DeClerc? And then they're gonna be like, "Dude, we need to listen to this guy." You never know. One person will listen. They'll check it out. Tell another person. They'll check it out. Tell another person. Who'll tell? This, you know, guy that, whose best friend is the guy from that band. The next thing you know, they'll be like, let's look that guy up. And next thing you know, Darren Elder, the producer that works with those guys, the drummer I know. Yeah, you never know. Exactly. Get you guys whoever, together. I mean, whoever that is. Yeah, <laughs> whoever so, that is. And, 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 you know, in the music business, crazier, you know, stranger, should I say, stranger things have happened oh definitely uh, yeah you never know you know but uh, no i i actually still use the same amp uh the only difference is back then and i still have the actual same amp it's the same thing uh back then though i used the distortion like i used the actual sound from the amp um now i run the amp with clean tone because it's got a nice clean tone, so I, I, you know, use the clean tone. And I have a um, Line 6 HD 500. It's a few years old. I got that back in 2012, I think. And it's like a pedal, you know, like a pretty, like looks like a pedal board, right? Mm-hmm. And it's got all kinds of tones in there. So I have different presets for different songs. Like you could 
save your sounds like let's assume in this song i use you know a solo sound a clean tone a delay or whatever i could save all that and then i could say okay that song those are my presets you know so i use one of those things it's it's great for different bands i have my different sounds and then uh, when i don't use my amp because technically speaking i don't think the amps are the V52, I don't think those are considered like, you know, super pricey high-end amps. It sounds good. The way I use it sounds awesome. Mm. Um, but uh, the distortion of the amp, yeah, I'm definitely better off with my, my effect thing. Um, I have a, a Mesa Boogie also. Mesa Boogie is what um, dad used when he was yeah. out there with you. The, the rectifier. Yeah, he had so, the triple rectifier. I remember when he bought it. So yeah, that is definitely um, you know that's that's an amp that's got awesome distortion and everything, and you know it's it's cool. Nice. So um, yeah, there's there's other things you know like the fractal axe or effects or whatever it's called. Uh, that's another one of those where you can pre-program any sound you want, and they have insane tones, um, you know. But that's when you're playing a club, you don't have to bring fancy, fancy stuff. Right? No. You know, so, uh, you know, besides, sometimes, you know, I, I guess it depends for what gigs. Some gigs require more effects and stuff. But, I mean, you know, sometimes when you see those guys with those pedal boards and all those wishy-washy things and sounds, I mean, they sound like bumblebees in a jar. <laughs> you know i mean it's like <laughs> sometimes you know when you have when there's a good amp you just plug directly in the amp have a little delay available a reverb maybe and and you're good to go you know for for the the rock and roll stuff like the alice cooper tribute bands i have a, a nice distortion nice juicy distortion sound i have a clean sound with you know some effects so it makes it a little dreamy like a little echo on there and then there's a nice solo tone you know um you know with, with some delays some some effects and that's pretty much it really yeah i don't use much effects i have a i don't know the like obviously i play guitar i have my schecters and stuff but i don't know much about my amp i know it's a pv it's a just a one-piece tube amp and it um i pick out the way I, the reason i picked it out is because of the clean you know what i mean i love the clean sound to it i feel like if you're going to want distortion or anything else you can always buy into that but it's really hard to find a good clean sound you know what i mean what you can't find really what what pedal can you find that has a really good clean sound so like i love the natural clean sound out of this amp um and then the, the distortion sounds great too so that was a plus um, and I just use the basic, uh, I have a pedal from my old B52 that I hook into it and it has like a distortion, the clean that comes through the amp. And then it has like another one that kind of, um, beefs up the distortion a little bit. So when we're, do you remember walking tall, the random damage song? Of course. The very first, um, not chorus, uh, verse I have like the dumbed down distortion kind of just do, 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 do. I kind of play it quieter. And then it goes yeah. through the, right when it hits the first chorus, I do the beefier uh, distortion. So then the next time I'm doing the next verse, it stays within the beefier distortion. And it kind of sounds really, really cool. Like the next, it's like the next step, uh, next level up. 
Um, so right. that, that's the basic stuff I use and there isn't really much else. Like when I'm doing my one or two solos, I do do in the random damage albums. It's just, um, I just, you know, flick the guitar, whatever thing on to make it a little more, uh, trebly. But other than that, I just, the basic of the basic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, depending on the gig, depending on the song, you know, this song needs an effect. You can always get that and, you know, but, um, yeah, sometimes, you know, some of my favorite players really are more simple, you know. Mm-hmm. They have more simple sounds. They don't have, like, all kinds of stuff. So Gary Moore, that's another guy I love. You know, it's a blues virtuoso guy. I mean, you know, it's like he's got a really, you know, awesome distortion sound, clean tone. That's about it. He uses the one from the air, too. I just remember... I remember back in Random Damage, Dad said like he had his uh, Mesa Boogie distortion sound, and he liked the way yours kind of matched up with his because your distortion sound was different out of the B fifty two, but it yeah. still it it meshed well with the Random Damage sound when you guys are playing, and uh, yeah, I remember that mixed out very well. Yeah, they were different tones. They kind of you know cut through. I mean, you know, just like when you listen to an album, okay, you hear what. Something with big guitars like Linkin Park, for example, you know, they have those huge guitars. You hear this wall of guitars like they have all kinds of layers. You know, you've got fucking, you know, 10 different tracks of the same part being played or very similar anyway. But they're run through different amps, maybe even different guitars and they're panned differently. That's why they sound like such a fucking huge wall of sound. It's not just one guitar, one amp, you know, it's a bunch of stuff. So, yeah, different distortions, sometimes they blend together really awesome. And it's true that, uh, yeah, our tones actually complemented each other well back then. So it's, it's cool. Well, music um, music aside, I definitely, I hope someday, you know, we're all talking about it now, but I really hope someday I get to share a stage with you at some point, whether it's even just me coming to see your a show of yours or you come to see a show of mine or you know damn right if someday we get to join random damage together again um but to put music aside one more time if you had to pick what's your favorite nhl team my favorite nhl team i mean see i mean i would probably say there's a few i like the kings i mean i'm in la so the kings um you didn't have any special from back when you were in switzerland or was there just swiss team uh swiss teams that you liked i I mean back then when i was a kid i used to like the kings the blackhawks i like to uh the red wings and the rangers i think those were definitely my favorites um you know i i it's more like i like certain players and i kind of follow the teams they're on pretty much what what what's your favorite um, players if you had to give us like a top three to five players? I mean, you know, it's mostly goalies. Um, you know, everybody in the NHL is great. They're all amazing. You know, so it's like I enjoy watching all the skaters and stuff. Goalies, I mean, my favorite right now from, I mean, current, uh, though he's soon on his way of retirement, but uh, Jonathan Quick, that's my favorite goalie. That guy is fucking awesome. Um, you know, he's, he's pretty quick. The... Yeah. Yeah. And you know, he's so athletic, like 
you know, so fast, do the splits. Like, it's kind of a hybrid style between current modern goalie and old school, too. Oh, so yeah, he's, he's stand-up and butterfly. He's definitely a hybrid goalie. Yeah, he's he's a hybrid. So it's not just, you know, because when they just do the butterfly, I mean, it's it's cool. It works. But, you know, I like when they're a little different. But there's a bunch of them. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury was definitely one of my favorites, too. Um, so I followed, you know, the Knights because of him, the Kings. Um, I followed the Knights anyway because it was a new team. It's kind of cool. I like the Penguins, too. I like a lot of older goalies, like from, you know, like 90s or early 2000s or whatever. Like you a Lundqvist um, fan? Was that? Are you a Lundqvist fan? I mean, he's great. He's not my favorite. Um, some of my all-time favorites were probably older ones, like, um, you know, um, uh, Dominic Hasek was definitely one. That was my all-time favorite. Uh, Martin Broder, um, most mostly with the, the Devils. Uh, Patrick Roy, you know, the Montreal. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, you probably remember those guys, right? Oh, yeah, of course. From from your time, too. You're probably right? like a Belfort fan and everything else. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're at Belfort. You know, like I like a lot of the 90s, you know, goalies and stuff. And, is that, I liked hockey better in the 90s. Is that your style? Are you like a stand-up goalie or are you like a little hybrid? Because you're still fairly young. You're only 34 years old, so you... Uh, I'm hybrid, you know, um... Definitely, definitely hybrid. It's I, I use the butterfly shit ton, of course, but not just that. You know, it's um, it's definitely hybrid. Mm. Yeah, for sure. You um, go ahead, shoot. You know, I, ironically, uh, I'll tell you, I was very, very fortunate to also accomplish some of my hockey dreams in a way because um, I got to play you know, here at the Staples Center on the ice of the Kings a bunch of times. Um, and then there's some of the pickups I do, you know, like they have like, there's alumni from the Kings or retired NHL guys. So I played with a, with a bunch of those, you know, retired, you know, NHL guys. And one of my uh, favorite players, Luke Robitaille, who's the, uh, he was the team captain when, uh, when Gretzky was with the, with the Kings. Um, now, Luke, he won the Stanley Cup with um, Detroit back in 2002, I think it was. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I got to play with him too, which skate with him, and that was really awesome, you know. So that was, uh, I was definitely fucking happy, you know, to, to skate some of those guys. Some of the shots they can do, it's terrifying. Oh, it is crazy. So fucking hard, man. It's like, even with the padding on, I mean, yeah, you know, it's they're all stingers, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I've uh, my brother-in-law. He's he played juniors um, a little bit, but he um, he's a he's a great hockey player, and um, his shot is just so powerful. And I put on goalie pads a couple times, man, and he took <laughs> he took a shot, and I caught it right in my palm. Oh my god, did that fucking hurt? <laughs> it was killer. And I just can't imagine some of those guys that are doing that. I have a buddy who, um, Matt Labby, shout out to him. I don't think he listens, but shout out to him anyway. He uh, he went to um, uh, UNH, University of New Hampshire. 
and the team needed a goalie or one of their goalies got kicked out for something like that. And he played high school goalie. So he got like a quick walk on to a D1 team. And he was still using like his his old high school pads that weren't even like professional whatever pads. And I remember it's like in a, one of his practices, he took a, a shot in his glove and it broke a finger. And I think he still played through. I don't think he ever got a game, but he still got to um, at least sit on the bench, I think, for some for some D1 college games, which are pretty fun. Yeah, it's those shots, man. I mean, D1 and all that stuff. I mean, the college players, I mean, minor leagues and some of those guys, man, send shots. It's it's absolutely terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was doing a pickup one time. Uh, that was a few years back, 2015, I think, at the Toyota Center. And um, one of the guys playing was Jason Marshall. He uh, He's a retired NHL guy. And... Um, you know, he played for the, the Blues, the Rangers, and the Mighty Ducks. Maybe a Canadian team, too. I forgot. Anyway, so I'd, I'd gone up to him during warm-up, and I was like, yeah, man, like I want to feel like a real, you know, real NHL shot. Like, go ahead, shoot, you know? And it's like, I took that thing to the mask. But let me tell you, bro, I had to change my cage after that. And I had a, he- and I had a headache for quite a while i was definitely definitely seeing some stars and the the impact when you take that to the head it's so loud like the ears were just like Bee! like you could i couldn't hear anything after that that's messed up that was, that's yeah crazy. that was and i was expecting it we were just warming up like okay go for it i'm ready and that shot was just so hard i like you don't even see anything at that point. <laughs> That's crazy. Pretty pretty intense. Yeah. yeah. Do you obviously you say you like the Pittsburgh? Do you do you know who Brian Dumlin is? The defenseman. No. No, I mean I'm not familiar with every name. Um, so no, I'm gonna say no to that one. Yeah, right Dumlin, Dumlin's played there for like ten years now. He's won a few Stanley Cups with them, and uh, he's actually from Maine. And my I've I've gotten better at hockey since I've worked at the Nice Rink, but before it, I was terrible. And I remember my first pickup hockey at the rink I work at, he was just getting drafted or he was about to get drafted by the Hurricanes or something like that. And he was there and he was playing and he was just, he was insane. And he was just a little kid. You know what I mean? And now he's, you know, multi-time Stanley Cup winner with the Pittsburgh Penguins. So that was, that was, that was my, uh, my one before he was famous hockey player to kind of play with. That's awesome. That's cool. Yeah. I had this one guy. I don't remember his name. I think it might be Dave. Um, we were playing pickup hockey, and I wasn't wearing a cage or a shield or anything. And I'm on the other side, like, back door of the goalie. And he took a shot, man, and it was going right for my face. And I turned just in time for it to skim off my shoulder. And I'm like, holy hell, I almost got just... And he had a hard shot. He was a scary dude. I think he played semi-pro somewhere. But he just... It was just a puck going right for my face, and I moved just in time for it to skim off my shoulder. So I'm like, these guys can fucking shoot. Yes, some of those shots are definitely super dangerous for sure. Like you gotta watch out. I, I think it's almost irresponsible or stupid to not wear a cage, even as a regular skater, because I mean, you know, it's like you never know when one of those pucks is gonna come for you or a stick. Oh, yeah, I definitely you know understand I mean? that. Yeah, I wear a half shield now, but, like, it's still, like, I've gone back and forth from a fishbowl to, a not like, a half shield to a fishbowl. And, and what it takes is for me to get hit in the face with a stick to me to go back to a fishbowl. 
and then I end up going back to a half shield a couple years later, and then I get a stick to the face. So I'm due for a stick to the face pretty soon because I've had the half shield for a while now. I've seen so many injuries in a, just a couple of years because I was on the bench for a while. I hurt. I had hurt my knee. And uh, not playing hockey, just by walking down the street, I <laughs> twisted my knee and then um, my knee just gave out. And, you know, I was off for a while, of course, with my awesome Obamacare that didn't cover anything. I couldn't, you know, really <laughs> get any treatment. Uh, big shout out to Obamacare. <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyway, you know, <clears throat> I had... Um, so I was on the bench, but yeah, when I started back, I mean, the amount of injuries that I've seen, even me, myself, I broke somebody's ankle by accident. You know, this guy, my own defenseman was skating a little too close. And when I went for the puck and I, you know, his ankle was on the way and then next thing you know, he tripped and that was that. And, you know, but yeah, I've seen like a guy take a stick to the face too. Um, so that broke his nose actually he was lucky it was just the nose but um, yeah I would definitely add a cage onto your helmet for sure if I were you yeah I have a hard time with cage I can only really see out of one eye so my cage I have a hard time seeing through so that's why I usually go with the fishbowl but um, like I said I'm back and forth I need to I need to learn my lesson one more time to get me back on the fishbowl <laughs> We were playing a game one time. It was um, it was a team of they, a new team. They were young guys. I think I was literally the oldest guy on there. So they were very athletic, but they were not very good. Like every dude in there was fucking ripped. But they, you know, they hadn't played together very long. The team wasn't very good, and we were playing against a, an all-girl team. So. The chicks, you know, they're fast. They never give up. They they keep coming back. They're tough. And they know the game, so they outsmarted those guys. So we were losing, right? And those, you know, young dudes with their fucking six-pack, whatever, were being, <laughs> you know, outsmarted by the chicks. And the chicks were... So that game was very competitive. And one of the guys got pissed, and they were battling for the puck. And, like, really lifted the stick you know pretty hard and this chick took the stick it hit her by the jaw she had a cage but it wasn't locked so that cage just went up and it popped her her jaw oh shit and it was hard to watch man like it was really like i didn't see it from up close but that bone was almost coming out like it was it was pretty disturbing to, to watch that's right so yeah I mean, you know, it's we don't get paid for this. We're not in the NHL. Not um, yet, anyways. <laughs> you know, we we should be taking risks like this. Uh, so, you know, accidents happen. You know, definitely. But yeah, so keep playing hockey, keep playing music. But we're definitely gonna have to do that again. That podcast. Multiple 2.0. things. We have we have so much to do together, and we live three thousand miles away from each other. We have to play hockey together. We got to play music together. We got to do a thousand things. We do actually. I would love to play hockey over there. Maybe one day I should uh, get on a plane. You know, we'll. You know what? We'll it's probably a random damage gig over there. I'll join you guys. It's exactly. It's probably a lot. 
more possible for you to fly over here and have us do a random damage show somewhere and you play hockey with me than having us all move or all go to LA. Granted, that's my that's my goal is to play in Los Angeles, but as you're you're making it sound horrible like it's a freaking shit show and you'd probably rather play over here in Boston. <laughs> I would love to go over there. Actually, you know, I've I've gone to more than half of the states. I mean, you know, with traveling and touring and stuff. So I've seen most states, but Maine and New Hampshire are some of the ones I've never been. Well, I mean, hey. I've been to New York. I've been to Massachusetts. You know, um, but yeah, in Rhode Island, I've never been been there either. Hey, if there's next summer anything, you say, hey, do you know what? I want to take a trip up there and have a little vacation in Maine. I have a house for you. You can come up here, stay. We'll do, we'll hang out, do a podcast. We'll try to plan a show for it. You just let me know, and you'll come on up. Yeah, I would love to. So I was going to ask you, how far does your dad live from you? Like, is it is he close to you? Or no? no, it's like two hours. Oh, yeah, it is two hours. Huh? Yeah, but that's like that's nothing. I drive an hour to work. You know what I mean? I drive 55 minutes to work every day. So it's like nothing. So when I drive to New Hampshire, it's, you know, it's mostly highway. Um, like some people are like, Jesus Christ, you drive an hour to work. I drive 15 minutes and I think it's a long time. I'm like, dude, I've been driving long distances forever. You know what I mean? So when I'm, when I go see dad or something, my grandparents and stuff in New Hampshire, it's only two hours away. It's, it's a hop, skip and a jump for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, two hours. Yeah, it's not that bad of a drive. I'll do that too. No. So, how old is your dad now? He's fifty. By the way? How old? Fifty. He just, he was born in seventy, so he was he's fifty years old now. Oh, he's fifty. Yeah. yeah. He's still looking good, but he got mad at me the other day. Uh, I don't know if he was mad, but he was annoyed because um, a few years ago we we had a show, me and him. It was just me and him, I think, doing a backyard cover show, whatever. Um, and he was walking up the hill and he's probably going to be mad that I'm saying this on here, but you could totally tell that like he's thinning on top. Right. So I said something to him and I'm pretty sure ever since then he's worn a bandana or his hair back cause he has long hair. Um, right. so I was just with him a couple weeks ago for like the first time in like six months. Um, I, he was, he was up, uh, we had band practice and I went over there and he had his hair back. I'm like, Dad, just take your hair down. Take your hair down. And he was like, no, no, he won't. Uh, his girlfriend says apparently like right on the back of his head, he has a big bald spot. But he won't take his hair down. And I want him to because I'm his son. Of course, I'm going to give him fucking hell about it. You know what I mean? I mean? He gives me shit all the time about stuff. But, yep, big old rock and roll dad. He's uh, I think he's balding. Hate happens to the best of us, you know. <laughs> I'm saying this but, now, like talking shit about him, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm right around the corner too. For all we know, I'm going to be bald also. Actually, I, actually, I think you'll be fine. I think it leaps a generation. Yeah. I think your son might be bald. I um, hope so. I hope but, it's not me. Well, it says it comes from your mom's side of the family, and my mom's side, my mom, like my uncle, my grandfather and stuff, they all had full heads of hair even when they were older. So, I think I'm all set. Right. But yeah, yeah, well, yeah. You should. I mean, you should be fine. From what I've, I've seen of you, 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 you look fine. I mean, you know, my dad is entirely bald. Um, <laughs> my, my my grandpa was not, so I'm hoping I'm fine. You know. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, no, you so, have a, so you have, far so good. Yeah, you have a nice full head of hair, so I'm pretty sure you're all set. You're you're in mid thirties, kind of. Right. 
That's weird no, to not, think, huh? Not yet. I'm, oh, I'm still 34. It's not not yet mid 30s. Almost. <laughs> Don't Almost. jump the gun, right? Don't jump the gun. Man, that's a scary thought. Time <laughs> flies. Isn't it crazy how fast? Time it's crazy. Flies? I was working uh, today. I was working at a different ice rink, helping out with some stuff. And uh, there was some kids I was working with. They were 15. I'm like, dude, when I was like, when you were born, I was 17. You know what I mean? I was playing in Los Angeles when these kids weren't even like born yet. I'm like, that's fucking crazy. Just how time goes and how old i i don't feel old i feel like my personality and everything else i feel like a child but at the same time right. if you look at the world i'm like jesus christ i'm like i remember telling people hey 20 years ago I'm like 20 years ago jesus christ i'm pretty sure i jerked off for the first time 20 years ago <laughs> it was like <laughs> it's just crazy how time flies yeah time really flies so you know make your make your dreams happen fast you know what i mean get on that well, let's just hope it's not another 13 years before we talk or anything. Um, we are now yeah, at... Yeah, we, we got we to keep in touch and hopefully hang out this coming year. Yep, I have, I have, I have, uh, I have until November, or December 2021 to use my flight tickets that I used for when I was supposed to go to LA. So let's hope LA is a little better by then. Maybe I'll be able to fly out. Yeah, let's hope that uh, they they will allow that, you know. Let's well, let's hope, hope there's something that. interesting to actually go to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, all right, hey, we're at two hours and 51 minutes of recording time. I'm going to pull you, you here. You're going to be kidding. We're, all, <laughs> we're almost at three hours. We're now. almost at three hours. Do you want to pull it? Do you want to think of one more thing to make it to three hours? You know, I'm, I'm going to have to go myself momentarily because uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to go to the rink. I promised those guys I would join them for, for a pickup tonight. Oh, I forget. It's only 8 o'clock but, uh, at your place. Yeah, it's it's only 8 o'clock. So the pickup we have is at 9. So. Well, hey, thank you for coming on, Chris. Um, obviously, this is this has probably been the funnest one I think I've had. A great conversation. Um, if you happen to... Uh, throw the podcast out there a few times, try to get people to listen to your show. And if you happen to have any uh, fancy people that you'd be like, Hey, uh, I got this guy that uh, has a pretty cool podcast. You might want to go and just call in and talk to him for an hour or so. I wouldn't be mad about it. Let's just say that. There might be, there might be a couple of people that I know that might want to do a podcast. I mean, I gotta, I gotta do a little thinking, um, you know? Yeah. There's a, uh, I have a fellow, artists um friends that's got some awesome material he would probably love to be on your podcast i mean there's a couple of people i could you know definitely uh let them know and uh you know i'm sure they they would definitely hit you up and take you on your offer well definitely and i hope i hope you listen to it and i hope you get a couple people to listen at least um, I know I've enjoyed this, whether people listen to it or not. It's for two things. For one, I get to record this whole awesome conversation for a podcast. And at the second, I uh, also got to have an awesome conversation with you that because we haven't talked in fucking forever. I know. From now on, we definitely cannot let that much time pass. No. With and all the technology th- we have. Thank you for having me. You know, it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. I hope... Uh, you know, I hope the people will be entertained and will learn a couple of things as they 
as they hear today's conversation, maybe they'll be like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that about the music industry or something. Definitely. Hopefully they make it through three hours. (laughs) Definitely. So we will keep in touch. And uh, yeah, again, thank you for having me. And uh, cheers all you guys. Definitely. Have have fun. And um, yeah. All right. Don't go go anywhere yet. I'm going to do this one thing. All right, everyone, make sure you follow us on the Cheesy Chicken Podcast, on the Facebook, the Instagram, come and like it. I really hope you enjoyed the Krista Clerk episode. This is probably, I can say this, the most interesting, the funnest one I have done yet in 29 episodes. Chris Chris is number 29. Follow us on that, and if you have a friend that you want to uh, uh, tell a show about, make sure you show them. Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, Google Play, the Podbean host website, show us on there. Um, yeah, we have one or two episodes a week. Let it go. Show us. Thank you, Krista Clark. Thank you. Run me